Just feeling chipper. <laughs> That's a great, great one. Greetings, you gorgeous pop culture junkies, and welcome to Raw Rant, where honesty is the game plan and truth is the destination. We're here hanging out with some of our favorite nerds to hopefully stimulate your brains and recharge your geeky souls. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Shane. With me, as always, on the boards is my brother, Brian. Bravo. Dude, you got you got to give the clapping. It's doing it. Doing okay, good. It. Also, making his reoccurring appearance directly from the Burr Network. Look up his name in the dictionary. It would simply say Wisdom, Robert Meyer Burnett. Thank you. Hey, I get the clap. I get the claps. <laughs> Yay! Oh, nice. Also, making his weekly appearance, the man voted most likely to get into a naked mud wrestling match with James Mangold. From the Salty Nerd Podcast, Matthew Kadish. <laughs> yeah, okay. Can I just say how honored I am to be on a stream with the dipshit from Chicago? I'm yes. Was that me? Was that me? <laughs> that is, yeah, that's, well. that's, that's you, Todd. <laughs> and of course, tonight's special guest on Raw Rant is a man who completed a childhood dream when he put on a Starfleet captain's uniform and took the chair in the middle of the bridge of the USS Titan for Star Trek Picard Season 3. His character may be just a dipshit from Chicago, but the actor is a comic genius from the second city with 134 credits to his name. Actor, director, writer, the one, the only, Todd Stafford. Well, who's counting? Um, <laughs> Um, um, no, I, 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 I am akin to said dipshit. I, I too hail from the, the second city, Chicago yes. as well. So yeah, no, we, me, me and Shaw have that in common. I'm eating peanut butter filled pretzels, um, because they're kind of an arm's length away. So I apologize. Nice. Not the sponsor for today's video, but quickly before we jump into the panel, uh, and start talking about this stuff, a bit of business, make sure you stay tuned until the end where we're announcing a huge event that's happening later this month that you can be a part of. It's something that will likely never happen again. And it has to do with star Trek Picard season three. So stay tuned till the end of the show. Okay. Also, I want to thank extra wallets for sponsoring today's show. Captain Shaw may not need a wallet in Starfleet since, you know, he doesn't need any money. Uh, but it is a necessity for us here in our daily lives. This is the last wallet you'll ever need. It's a smart wallet, efficient, super slim, sleek, and futuristic, made with Italian leather, space-grade aluminum, and carbon fiber with built-in RFID blocking protection uh, to protect you from wireless theft. And it also comes with a tracking card in case you misplace it. Check out Extra Wallets right after this video. The description will be below. Go to shop.extra.com slash the podcast. Use the code the podcast for 25% off. Thank you so much, guys, for that. Now, Todd, thank you and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Last time I saw you, you were sitting, you were sitting right there. <laughs> That's right. We were in there with you. Actually, we wanted to, uh, to go into that with you. You've been a force of nature out there promoting Star Trek Picard Season 3. And we appreciate you coming out to chat with us and all the fans here with us live um, we, who've absolutely fallen in love with Captain Liam Shaw. Now, before we jump into the character in the season, if it's okay with you, I wanted to take a moment to point out some things that Star Trek fans really need to know about you. Uh, we had the pleasure of visiting your nerd lair during a recent uh, trip with you. Uh, and floor to ceiling, your nerd lair is probably the most amazing and impressive conglomeration of nerd collectibles I have ever seen. You hear Besides, that, Rob? It, it's amazing. I, you know, uh, uh, far be it for me to, uh, I would never, dis I would, uh, I would not presume to debate you, as someone said once. <laughs> Besides the most badass D&D &D table ever invented, 
A dragon that breathes smoke and Star Trek collectibles that make eBay collectors drool. The one thing that people may not realize, realize about you is that unlike a lot of other actors who've been in Star Trek, you are at heart a hardcore fan. Can you share your experience growing up as a Star Trek and fantasy fan? Well, well, first of all, the minute anybody like lays down the, say, the, 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 the mantle of hardcore fan, people start going, well, what's your favorite episode? What's the name of it? Quote <laughs> episode number. Well, I can't do that. I am not that kind of uh, encyclopedic fan. What I am is a, uh, well, you're getting me, you're My getting God, me seasick Brian. with your footage. <laughs> um, what I am is, uh, is a fan of genre. Um, and my love of genre coincidentally began kind of around the time of uh, the, the, the repeat viewings of uh, Trek because I don't think I was yet born when the original series aired. But come like 74, when Mego started releasing the action figures, mm -hmm. um, that is when I kind of, my, my nerd awakening began. Uh, a cousin of mine gave me my Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And um, we used to watch the original series. We used to watch the Planet of the Apes TV series. Oh my God, those bad boys there too. Um, and that was that was kind of ritual television for uh, us. Uh, I'm sure Rob can attest for us nerds in the early '70s. Uh, this was pre-Star Wars, so yes, this is this is what we had. Like these things were were they took up all the air in in the, the room of my imagination, and so. You know, my first, one could say, uh, foray into theater and acting was pretending to be Kirk and, and Spock and McCoy and Uhura and Scotty and on my bridge play set. There it is. So, yeah, I, the, the, the seeds of me doing what I do today were planted uh, in the early 70s with that. And then along came, you know, Star Wars, which took up every other room in my brain um, as well. So. So I can I can I can draw a direct uh, line between my Mego action figures and me sitting on the bridge of the Titan. I mean, there's it, it's not even circuitous. It's a it's a straight line. You tell a really great story about um, I think you were in Gotham City, like you're on the set of Gotham or and uh, and you were you were like having this moment where you're like, oh, my God, I'm I'm in Gotham City. Well, yeah, you know, you have to, you have to, you have to remain present for these wonderful moments. You know, a lot of the questions come at me were uh, uh, from a, a lot of uh, Trek fans uh, and, and 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 genre fans as, were you freaking out? Were you freaking out? I'm like, I wasn't. I wasn't freaking out. What I was was present. Mm. What I what I tried to remain was present because you know the the side joke that i have is if somebody told six-year-old todd that he would be the captain of a starship i would go yeah that totally tracks um because i've been pretending to be that forever that these are the dreams that i was dreaming as a kid and so much of my life and the projects that i've been attracted to uh lent itself to this in a way now did i ever expect that i would be the captain of a starship no no, you, you never count on that. And, you know, these are the, these are the surprises that your life, I mean, how could I have known that when I booked 12 monkeys, that someday Terry would return to the Star Trek family and create a role for me. You just don't know that stuff. Um, but because I uh, adore this work, it's kind of like getting a chance. If you, 
if you have your masters in Shakespeare and then you suddenly find yourself on Broadway doing uh, doing Lear or doing Mary Wise of Windsor or something, it's akin to that. It's like, this is the thing that I love and this is the thing that um, the kinds of stories I like to tell. And so there, 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 there was a, a, a homecoming to the feeling and not uh, I'm a screaming fanboy and oh my God, I'm acting with Patrick Stewart. It's, it's, this is an honor and this is a privilege and I'm a custodian of a legacy and what a treat it is to get to, uh, to do this work with these actors and to contribute to this canon and hopefully add to it, not to just be present in it, you know, like be part of the future of, of, the, of the canon and not just sort of sitting in the past and, oh my God, I'm in Star Trek, right? Right. Really you know, Todd, very long, long-winded answer, sorry. No, it's Todd, I, I really hope that I'm at the first Star Trek convention you make an appearance at so that I can witness you realize just how big of a deal you actually yeah. are nowadays. You're going to see lines going around the block to get your ridiculous. autographed. You're going to see thousands and thousands of people in a hall just to see you up on stage speaking. I don't think it's quite set in yet. Just I, how big of a deal Shaw is to so many people out there. What's what's really wild, Matt, is that uh, literally two episodes into uh, Picard season three, I was invited to go to the cruise. And so I did this. That was my inauguration into the Star Trek fan community was the cruise. Oh, my uh, God. Trapped and, on a boat, Todd? Well, but <laughs> not trapped. Like, again, like, that's the I was attending Comic-Cons. And, and, and Rob and I actually met years ago talking nerdy stuff at, at Nikki Griffin's birthday. Um, so he knows, like. This is look at where I live. Like, this is the, this yeah, is the but, inside but Todd, that, that was before that was before the series aired. I think that now that everyone's gotten exposure, no, it aired. To you, there was two episodes already. Are you surprised, Todd, how popular Captain Shaw is? Oh, of course, of course. Nobody, uh, no, but I, I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to diminish what you're saying, Matt. Uh, it's uh, it, it, it was it was weird and wild then. And uh, and my guess is now that we're deeper into the season, it's going to get weirder and wilder um, uh, at these conventions. So uh, am I surprised? Of course, you never like you get scripts and, and you're proud of them and, and they read great. And, you know, you try to bring your A game um, and you trust that the directors and editors and makeup artists and wardrobe people uh, aren't going to make you look look like a fool. So. Uh, and then it gets shot out of a cannon into into uh, the body politic, and I, who knew I would be the meme king of 2023? <laughs> <laughs> now, I gotta ask you, Todd: Have you have your peeps, have your agents, managers, your your team, have you received a bump at all in the in the last couple weeks, in the last seven weeks? Uh, have anyone um, made you any offers? You getting uh, any scripts in? Uh, you would think. And yet, dot dot dot, and I think a lot of that has to do more with the fact that there's a there's a potential writer strike. Uh, yeah, moving. yeah, that's true. And I think I think the industry is contracting for a bit as it collect, holds its collective breath, waiting to see. So no, no, no. Uh, we, we, you know, Terry and I both joke. We're like, have you ever been more popular and less employed? <laughs> I mean, it, but isn't that always the thing? Here, here you have this breakout role that, like you said, you become the meme king, and yet we're facing a writer's strike. That's been the story of my life for the last thirty years. Yeah, it's, got... it's, 
I think Alanis Morissette wrote a song about it. Um, <laughs> Don't uh, you think? Ironic. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, it's it, it, I, I the the uh, the ride is still going. I think like where it leads in terms of of work uh, that is yet to reveal itself. Uh, I'm always excited and interested. You know, people always ask like, "What do you want to do next?" And I uh, my answer is always the thing that will surprise me because I certainly didn't see this coming. So this is 12 monkeys was a pleasant surprise. Any job that I've had uh, just sort of revealed itself. Any job that I've had that has been sort of deeply meaningful to me uh, just sort of reveals itself through the ether. And, uh, and so I'm eager to see what that will be, but no, I'm not, uh, I'm not waiting through a pile of scripts from Warner brothers, deciding which next DC hero I want to play. Uh, Shucks. Lobo is the answer to that question. Lobo. That's the answer. Yeah. James, are you listening? I want to play Lobo. Don't worry, yeah, I'll, I'll call him later on. I will. He's got a DC character. <laughs> Come on. You don't You've get had a your shot, he's Jason. Not, he's not Pedro Pascal or Chris Pine, where you get all the franchises. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> of, of course, you were Deacon on 12 Save Monkeys. Some franchises for other people. <laughs> Amen. Of course, you were Deacon on 12 Monkeys, working with Terry Metalis, the showrunner for Picard Season 3. Can you tell us the Captain Shaw origin story from your perspective and how you ended up in the chair? I think, from what I've heard, they, they obviously, you know, it's the grit that makes the pearl. So, obviously, they wanted something to be the splinter in the eye of of our legacy heroes as they, as they need a lift to go save Bev. Um, and so as they were developing this and whose, whose ship and, and, and how they would, uh, how they would uh, conjunction with seven, I think they came up with the idea of, of the Titan because it was formerly, it made sense because it was formerly Riker's ship. And then they were like, well, who, who, what kind of person would be great to be a foil for these guys that could be assholey, but also kind of likable? And I'm like, well, that's what I did for four seasons on 12 Monkeys. And so Terry and I, uh, he actually had me, you know, he always was, he's always looking out for me with projects that he's doing and seeing if there's a place for me in them. And then he called me up uh, August 20. 21, yeah, 150 years ago in the before times. No, still during the now times. Um, 2021, he, he called me up and he's like, we've got a part for you on uh, Picard season three. And, you know, my joke is, well, that's awesome. I can't wait to get to see who will play it because life <laughs> in the industry doesn't work that way. You know, you don't, you you know, they. I have been the guy who's gotten the parts that were written for other people. So I know for the fact that it doesn't always plan out because there's so many voices, especially in a, you know, a franchise like Trek. Yeah. They were actually calling your character, Captain Stashwick before you were yeah. hired. So, so they had the voice. Yeah. And, and so, and so to that, you know, Sean Tretta and Chris Monfat and, uh, and, and Terry, they, they, they sort of know the shapes of sentences to stick in my mouth uh, that uh, how I play and, and what I bring into the buffet. And so uh, when I stepped into the role, it was like, 
like stepping into a suit that was that was cut to fit you. It was pretty amazing. The minute I read those words, I'm like, yep, that sounds like me. That feels right. Um, yeah, and they and they also wanted a character that tethered deeply to Picard's past uh, in a way that he will find surprising. And uh, and so the whole the whole uh, Wolf Three Five Nine that was that was pitched to me before uh, I think the I was even officially like the ink had dried on the contract. Terry sort of filled me in on all of the all of the the details of who this guy is going to be. What did it take to get you emotionally to that place? Because the scene in the bar where you do Wolf Three Five Nine was so powerful. Um, did that? Did you guys rehearse that? Did you? What What did you go through in your mind to get you there? Well, it's all on the page. I mean, it's the the the, the you're literally describing visually the event, and so my job then was to visualize that event. And 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 I've said this before. Luckily, I had two amazing episodes that showed me what the outside of the portal window was looking like. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was going back and rewatching uh, Best of Both Worlds Part One Two, so that I could live through uh, the Battle of Wolf Three Five Nine, at least from an outside point of view. And then my job as an actor is to creatively visualize what was happening around me. And then when you see something, you have thoughts about it. You have thoughts about it. You have you have feelings about it and those feelings then rise to the surface. So it was just a matter of having that, just trying to, to really picture the fear, uh, the stress, the strain, the panic to really go back to that place because, and the grief, um, you know, somebody once said, uh, and I love this expression that grief, the size of grief does not change, but your life gets bigger around it. But anytime you revisit that grief, it is fresh. So, you know, I've lost my father. And so when I hit those moments of grief with the loss of my dad, I feel it like it was the day of his funeral, but I'm not crying every day. Like I did days after his loss so you try to go okay well the size of this grief and this fear and this pain and this post-traumatic stress and survivor's guilt is as fresh as it ever was but his life has moved on past it so that he has the size of his life is bigger until the man himself walks onto his ship and there he is. I've never seen him in person before, is what I created for Shaw. They've never met. And so he had hoped he would go his entire life without ever having to meet him. But when he does, that grief, that pain, that, that stress, that uh, fear, that panic, it's all right there. That makes so much sense. Uh, Matt, real quick, and I'm going to let you ask the next one. I just want to follow up because he's in this place. So Shaw says, no, 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 right? No, no, no. And then he finally says, eventually says yes, or he eventually agrees or something happens where, where he's like, okay, okay. So what is the process going through? I believe my words were, God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So what is the thought going through Shaw's mind in that moment where you've, you've got this emotional turmoil and now you're, but you're eventually going along with it because you know he's right or he's, you know, what's the process of the character's motivation there? So, so what I figured out about Shaw is as much of an asshole, uh, he, he does, when he has all the information, 
he makes the right decisions. Um, he weighs them when he's listening to, he listens to seven and what she offers. He, he, that's why she's his number one. And so when he gets all the pieces of that, he could, as much as he could possibly get, he will then make a decision. He even says to her, he says, look, we've engaged. I want to know with who and, and, and why. Um, and then when it is officially confirmed, because Bev is now conscious, it is officially confirmed that now that Picard knows that that kid is his son and not just a con man. Well, he is not going to surrender over the son of an admiral and he's not a monster. Like, so now he knows this kid is a, a citizen of the Federation and he is the son of an admiral and, uh, and, and Beverly. So you go, there isn't, there's no other decision to make. He's not a monster. And he's once again, doing the right thing. Like this is Starfleet protocol is right. we protect our citizens before like he, you know, all the information he had was this guy has 10 aliases. My favorite moment in this argument is when he goes, so we handcuffed himself to a woman in a cryo chamber mm -hmm. and then, and then just told us that he was his, uh, he was her son. So I'm like, I, the, the, I know for a fact that Jack Crusher is a bullshit artist. Mm. So why would I believe him yet? And if he is he, this one man, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. If this one man who is a con man who may not even be a citizen of, of the Federation is, could be lying about being this, this woman's child, why would I risk my entire crew? Mm. But, you know, Starfleet protocol would then suggest He's the son of an admiral. Like, like now that I have all the facts and I have a heart, believe it or not, uh, he makes the right decision. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, kind of in going along with this, Todd, one of the greatest scenes in modern Star Trek, in my opinion, was our introduction to Shaw, where he starts dinner early as Picard and, and Riker come in. And it's kind of funny because we're being introduced Thank to you, you at the same time as we have these two legendary actors, you know, Stuart and Frakes coming in who are just as big as the characters that they play. And the fact that like Shaw was able to basically put them in their place without becoming your typical Star Trek villain, um, right. you know, from, well, from Starfleet. Yeah, no, he yeah. wasn't. And, and the fact that you were able to kind of like not not come off that way was was really impressive so i was wondering was there any workshopping that that you and and stewart and frakes did before the the scene to kind of hit the right tones there like like put them in their place without you know uh, kind of blowing the character out in the eyes of the audience um you would have thought no there was no workshopping <laughs> i mean we I mean, we do we do what's called a camera rehearsal where you you kind of blow through it uh, well, you read it, you read it aloud with each other so that you have all the lines and then you do a, a blocking rehearsal and then you step away as they set the lights for the scene and then you come back and you do the scene. So, I mean, and typically during the blocking rehearsal, you're kind of auditioning your take. You know what I mean? You're like, I'm going to do the scene the way I think the scene should be. Um, and that way, Terry has his eyes on it. The director has their eyes on it. Uh, I believe Doug directed that scene. Um, 
everybody's watching it. And so, so you go, you, you will know before the cameras roll, whether it's going to fly or, or whatnot. Um, but I, I mean, I can, I can say, and this is not even in a, like a, a, I'm not bragging. I'm saying that pretty much the scene that you saw was the scene that the camera take rolled. And I think a lot of it was where we establish who Shaw is and then going back to the fact that Terry and Chris and Sean and the rest of the writers, uh, they knew how to write for Todd Stashwick, the performer. Like, you know, every actor sings their song differently. They knew, okay, this is the kind of thing that Todd does. So like I did it as Deacon, like this, this is, this is the line that I walk as an actor. Like, wow, he's an asshole. Wow. He's kind of charming. Well, he's, he's a dick. He's got a villain's face, yeah, but he's kind of funny. Like this is the space that I live in as a performer. And there's a lot of things that I don't do as a performer, but this is kind of my wheelhouse. Um, so I think they just were like, yeah, we need a trombone in this scene. So Stashwick's a trombone. Like, oh, Frank's plays a trombone. Um, uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, so that's the, that's the moment. And earlier on, I think I had shot a scene on the bridge and I, and I, you know, hit that tone. And this was before that. And then Terry walked up to me. He was like hundred percent that through the rest of the whole shoot. Like that's their <laughs> Shaw right there. Just keep, stay in that strike zone. And so, so I just kept trying to keep it in that strike zone. Yeah. yeah. How much do you think your comedy background has helped you for formulating your approach to this character? Because you have obviously everything that comes out of your mouth puts a smile on my face, and there's there's a there's a certain delivery you're giving because you know a lot of actors don't have the kind of improv background that you have, and one of I think one of the great things about improv is that. If you're an actor on a on a on a set and a, a director is giving you different kinds of direction or says try different ways, in your toolkit you have that ability, you know, coming from a yes and background or the different things that you do in, in, in all kinds of comedy that you can draw upon, which is what I've always thought that certain actors that, like a Robin Williams, you know, when he did The World According to Garp, he, he he was truly in a dramatic role, but his comedic chops I think really informed what he was doing. How how much comedy is there in in Liam Shaw? Well, um, I, you know, it, I I think I, I think there's you know we in life and especially in tragic and dark moments we as human beings uh, will seek any nugget of lightness or yeah. and often comedy is uh, it's control you're controlling. A narrative right like if it's sarcasm or whatnot you're, you're you are manipulating the moment uh with your passive aggression or whatever it is we do this as people um so uh in answer to your question i can't help but not find the moments of of uh what i find absurd or humorous or ironic in any given scene um, also knowing when to turn, like going, well, actually, no, this is not funny at all. And so don't actually look for the funny because that's not what we want. We don't want to break the tension of this moment with the audience. So, but I think why, why someone would bring me to the party is in an otherwise dramatic show, 
at least in the corner that Stashwick occupies, uh, he will find moments of levity in the middle of a line uh, with maybe even just an eye roll or a brow furrow or something. Uh, I can't help it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so, so back to what you're saying, the improv of it all uh, is comes to the listening to what the other characters saying and have opinions about it. And sometimes I will have sarcastic opinions and I will have, passive aggressive opinions about what the other character is saying to me and then that can't help but uh inform the line reading or the the moment excellent we got a few questions here from some of the people watching so brian you want to grab a couple of those yes uh from george the giant slayer thank you george love your work thank you absolutely love todd's work 50 dollars or is that part of his name no, that's 50 bucks. He's Thank George you, George. The Jiffer. 50 bucks. is like, that's his last name. I love yeah, that. Yeah, 50 bucks. What's up? Hey, hey 50 bucks. It's like, absolutely absolutely love we, we just call it's him 50. From 50 cents. <laughs> Been a fan ever since Lie to Me, Justified in 12 Monkeys, yet this is my favorite role. Need Captain Shaw series from Engineer to the Big Chair. Great stream. All hail Todd, Robert, Shane, Matthew, and Brian. Engage. Thank that's you, not a question, but thank you. Yeah, I, well, I actually that's do have a question. I'm sorry, I have read the wrong. From Question of Trek for four ninety nine, would Shaw punch Q, or would he put up with his shenanigans? <laughs> I, I think I think uh, they would have uh, a snark off. Uh, I think uh, like if it, Shaw does not, he certainly does not uh, revert to violence. Uh, he abhors it because of you know his experiences early on uh with witnessing violence he's obviously not above you know pulling out a phaser when he has to uh, but i don't think he'd be punching anybody but i think he would certainly try to cut him to the quick with uh you know both both of them drip with with sarcasm so i think it would be an interesting um it would be an interesting toe-to-toe with q okay i got another question from uh akil patel from two pound akil She's <laughs> what did, what was Todd's experience with writing for a game? What what does what does like about the process writing for TV, film, and games, and what does he not like? What do I like? Uh well I've I've only written pilots for television. I have not written as a as a staff writer. And when you're writing a pilot for TV, you're completely in charge and not not you know you it, it's your story and it's perfect in your head until the network gets their hands on it um writing for games is similar to writing for film in that you're still breaking an act structure you're still uh you're still you know the kind of games that i write for uh i write for i tend to write for more linear uh story narrative and less sort of open world games um so the story the, the process is the same uh, where you, where you, you know, you, it's your hero's journey. You want your inciting incident, all of it, your darkest hour, your inmost cave, you know, Joseph Campbell 101. So uh, I, I find the process for games is the same, except that there is a handoff that happens where, where maybe you would be writing an action scene in a script, uh, in a game. You're like, and this is where the game part is. This is the action scene is what the audience is playing. So, or, or the gamers playing. So that, that part's different. There's more of a handoff conversation between what they say is on the sticks and what is cinematics. Um, what do I don't like about it? 
Uh, it's a slower process, like writing a movie or writing a screenplay. You sort of write it. I'm not going to say I don't like it. It's just different. Uh, making a game is more like uh, building a car, filling it with gas, uh, and driving it down the highway at 60 miles an hour at the same time. Um, because you're sort of in pre, post, and uh, production all at the same time. Um, it's a slower process. I read this article once uh, about the making of Mass Effect and the way they wrote the narrative to sort of weave in the user's version of the hero, right? Hmm. Like the user is playing something. He's writing his own headcanon. And so they want their story to complement the user's, the game, the gamer's headcanon. Well, that's like when you have choice wheels and stuff like that, that mm -hmm. then steer the narrative in a different direction. You're obviously then shaping the game based on the choices the character makes. The games that I've written uh, have been much more like you are you are doing things that push the narrative forward that we have decided upon. Gotcha. You've also written for your comic, so which you produce yeah. annually. So you've got that experience as well. You've done the whole gamut of writing, I think, at this point. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> actually sort of what what you know. In the last writer strike, dear fans uh, watching. <laughs> uh, we lost a house. So um, that's what happens in Los Angeles sometimes when uh, when when strikes occur. Um, so uh, it was at that moment that I was like, you know who benefits from writer strikes? Uh, the producers. And the producers are the people that own the, the, the writing. And so the, if you own the writing, then, uh, you know, you get to call the shot. So when you create an IP, I guess I should say, unless you're a staff writer, then, you know, then you're just a staff writer. And so, but that was the moment. It was literally that moment that I was like, I have to find alternate streams of revenue. I can't be dependent on the flotsam and jetsam of acting alone. And I started this comic with Dennis Calero uh, just so I could go, all right, at least make a thing that's out there that you have control over in the middle of all of this lack of control. So ironically, during a writer strike, I decided to become a writer. Um, <laughs> and I had, I had written, I had written like screenplays prior to that uh, and a pilot prior to that. But that was when I really was like, I'm going to take this to market. So we won't have to wait for permission. So Dennis and I started, uh, he met, uh, we met because of Heroes. I was on Heroes, and um, he was drawing the comic for Heroes, and he was a fan of a show I had done called The Riches uh, back uh, in the day, which was canceled because of the writer's strike. And so Ooh. I booked Heroes, and, uh, and we met, uh, and he's like, do you have any writing ideas? I said, yeah, I have this idea about the devil who quits. And again, sort of going into my own personal wheelhouse which is i play villains who often have a change of heart and i'm like okay well, if i'm gonna write something write for myself i'll write this comic like an fx show about the devil who who goes on the lamb in hell and if he doesn't use his abilities then because hell is trying to drag him back uh, and if he doesn't use his power he can stay off their radar uh, and so he's he's really trying not to be the thing that he was created to be. Uh, so 
Dennis liked that idea. He goes, you write it, I'll draw it. We'll put it out once a week for free. And we put it online for free and then would collect up all of the, the weekly strips at the end of the year and print them and then go to Comic-Con and sell them. At one point, UCP optioned it to try and sell it as a TV series. Uh, it didn't sell, but then we wrote a space pilot, ironically. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we, we were asking ourselves, all right, what's not like, so we just did the, 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 the writer's exercise of what if someone gave you the Star Trek kingdom, what would you write? And I said, well, I would write the stories about, because I'm a scoundrel at heart. I'm a Han Solo guy. Like, what's, who are the pirates? Who are the pirates in this world? And let's follow them. And then the story then, and it's sort of on the heels of the riches, the story then was like, well, what if a clan of space pirates, like Irish travelers in space, lost their ship and had to climb aboard a derelict Federation ship shave off their beards, put on the uniforms, and pretend to be Federation. <laughs> yes. And, and so, and they knew something about the head of Federation who was duplicitous, so they had each other by the short hairs. Mm. So it was a game of chicken. So they had to corroborate each other's story because it was, we'll expose you if you expose us. And so they had to learn how to be, so the, 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 literally the elevator pitch is what if Han Solo had to pretend to be Picard? And awesome. that was that was our show and it was called Clandestine. Like mm. Clan Destiny, clan, but it's a clan, and, but it's also a secret. And, uh, and we sold it to the Sci-Fi Channel. And uh, we spent a year and a half in development for that um, with another lovely writer by the name of John Scheiben. And it was produced by... Um, she produced uh, James Cameron. She was married to James Cameron. Her name is Gail Ann Hurd. Gail Ann Hurd. She was our producer. And so uh, so we were a year and a half in development. Um, and then uh, we handed in, Rob's going to know this story way too well. Friday, we handed in our draft and our series Bible. Monday, the head of development and the president of the network was fired. Oh, Jesus. That's that's, that, that's what happened to uh, Eric Jedrinson's script, Star Trek: The Beginning. Mm. That um, Eric Jedrinson, who was the supervising producer of Band of Brothers, was brought with Carrie McCluggage and Donald DeLine, who were running Paramount at the time. He wrote a great first draft of a script that would take place eight years after Enterprise. It was going to be the first in a trilogy of movies, and basically, after he turned in his script. Everybody was fired. The regime at Paramount changed. Wow. And yeah. then uh, Bad Robot took over the Star Trek franchise. And that yeah. script, which should still get made. they, they if, if Paramount Plus was smart, they would just take that script. They would bring back Eric Jedrinson to write a couple more drafts and make it. Star yeah, Trek 4. Yeah. Hey, I got yeah. another hey, hey, real but, quick. But, but just so so the, the, the final coda to that story is they didn't pick us up, mm. but they picked up 12 <clears throat> Monkeys. Real oh, quick, Todd, um, was in the same the same pilot. And, and John Scheiben cool. was a one a big writer on the X Files. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Todd, yeah. with with the impending writer strike, how many scripts do you think are going to be written by Chat GTP in the coming months? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be terrible. That. <clears throat> I got a I got a question from Jake and Sully. May I ask uh, if Captain Shaw eventually gave Picard and Riker better quarters? Thank you, Jake. 
My fever came out of my leg. <laughs> so no is the answer, Jake. That's the answer, Jake. <laughs> They're still uh, bunking it. Also from Tony D, if you were offered the opportunity, would you continue on with the character as Captain Shaw in a Star Trek Titan slash legacy series? Of course. <laughs> I, yes, I of course. Like Tom Hanks. That was, that was a Tom Hanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of course. Of course. Of course. Like I, you know, I've said this before. I uh, I am Aragorn, and they have my sword to whatever capacity they need it in the future. You know, once you are part of the legacy of of Trek as a whole. Um, you know they i i am i am i am a uh, i am a tool to which they however they choose to use me i'm excited and happy to continue i mean if they want to do you know muppet baby star trek i'm there uh i'm happy to uh which muppet baby are you i'm kermit the frog actually i'm gonzo <laughs> who am i kidding gonzo right, right, right. Uh, yeah um but kermit would be the captain so i always defer um um Warp speed ahead. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, of course I would. Of course I would. I mean, I would love nothing more. I mean, I yeah. love, I love these people. I love, I love this character. I love working with Terry. Uh, the chance to work with Franks and Jerry and 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 Beverly and Ashley. Uh, you know, like I, like I would love to work with all these people again and and see what other stories are in store for this character. 100%. Awesome. Awesome. There are uh, more people saying the same thing. Love Captain Shaw. Hope there's a Titan show. Thank Here's you, another Sean. question for you. Good tea and nice house. Shaw clearly needs a vacation. If he were to go to Riza, what do you think he would bring? <laughs> Case of Malbec. Um, <laughs> there you go. Um, uh, he would not bring his communicator. Hmm. That's a good answer. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> hey Todd, I, I got a I got a quick question. Uh what sure. was the tune that you were humming in, in the turbo lift? Uh I forget. <clears throat> was it off the top of your head? Just something. Or I mean, I did they tell you to do something or yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> we or got you a quick can't say it because you, you have to make sure that. They didn't clear the music, so you don't want anyone to know what, what it was. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> got it, got it, got it. We're clear, we're clear. We got a question from Admiral Tajir Tiberius Murray. I can't say your name, man. I'm so sorry. Terrier. Admiral Terrier, thank you. Yes. Um, Todd, when you undoubtedly become a Star Trek action figure, will you buy yourself and will you play with yourself? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Come on. Class. He's not going to have to play for own myself. myself. I'm not gonna finish the rest of that sense. Um, <laughs> I will 100% own an action figure of myself. I will 100% own it. Whether I like, uh, you know, here's the thing. Uh, I'm at the age where it doesn't come out of the box. So, uh, uh, unless it's like that's what she said. That whoa, sideshow <laughs> uh, size. Then, then you, then you, then you want to stage it. But uh, if it's if it's Mego size, oh, I wish it's Mego size. Um, if it's Mego size, it stays in. The they might very well. They might Mego might. 
they might do that. You know, Migo's oh. been making a lot. Their Star Trek line's been pretty deep. Yeah, you know, that, that would... Nothing would, would be more full circle for this little nerd than to hold a blister case with a Shaw action figure because I literally know where I was sitting when I opened the box and saw and my and my cousin did it perfectly the way he staged it in the box was Kirk was in the center and the other two were flanking him and so the first action figure I ever saw was Kirk and so to if I could have a Shaw in a blister case mint on card so if not somebody will make you a custom of that yeah, there are sure. a lot of talented people out there that someone's going to, if they don't do it themselves, somebody will make you a custom. From don't George the Giant Slater, $50. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, once Shaw has gone through his journey with Picard and Riker, does that alter his feelings respect different, differently from the past emotional damage experience with Eucutus and Riker's more freewheeling command style? I mean, like, like all kidding aside, like how could it not? right like every experience that we go through colors a person and and i think i think and look this isn't the first time shaw has seen battle in action in fact in the ready room you will see uh, a, an award for captain liam shaw heroics in battle like it's not his first rodeo that he's been shot at or whatnot they're in the final frontier so it's it's a dangerous out space wants to kill you Right, space wants to kill you, so he just his approach to so in his mind, the reason all of the Borg stuff happened was because they were reckless, because they poked a bear. Right, in his mind, he doesn't have all of the information clearly, but now when you see when you're out there and threads start getting pulled and you find yourself cornered in space without corners, you do have to make quote unquote cowboy decisions to stay alive you do have to shoot from the hip to stay alive so i think i think ultimately there he will have some appreciation and and his view of the behavior of the crew of the enterprise can't help but be altered by this experience that's a good answer thank you george for that super chat love it george is the man yeah awesome yeah appreciate you fitty dollar man or fitty Uh, you know i'd be curious you know, Todd, obviously having been a fan for such a long time as as I have been, it's very interesting watching the last, say, 40 years of fandom change, alter, metastasize, evolve, do whatever. Metallicized. Metal in this case, <laughs> metallicize. And 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 one of the one of the things that I like, I mean, I I would go to conventions and be a lonely kid rifling through long boxes of comics and looking at things and 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 holding them up and by myself and now we've got star trek cruises you've got the san diego comic-con where you have four generations of fans whole families grandparents taking their kids that have their kids um and and you have experienced that all the way through what happens when you become a fan favorite person is there is is it a weird thing i mean is it is it odd because you're old you're og you're you're i have i have said that the modern fan age came about with the res, uh, the release of star wars 
But we original Trek fans as kids were we it, it predate we predated that, and Star Wars was the first time that all of our little predilections went yeah, mainstream. Star Wars was was seismic. So what what was the question? Well, the question is as a <clears throat> as somebody who's an old school fan, now you've become the object of fan obsession. You've become a a like you said you're the meme king of 20 the early part of 2023 <laughs> now as somebody who's been a fan your whole life yeah. and you know what is it now like for you you know you get asked to go it's, on trek cruises now and people are coming up to you and we're we're here firing questions off at you is it a weird thing is it an odd thing is well, how, how do you feel about it it's well it's an honor right it's a uh, it, to I've had tiny little primers for it because of Supernatural and the originals. I've mm -hmm. been to fan conventions that I've had to sit at, not had to, I've chosen to sit at tables and, 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 and engage with fans of those franchises and sign pictures and do panels. And so, and 12 Monkeys, we had panels and we did Comic-Con and that. And 12 Monkeys had a very, very rabid, passionate following. I have been asked to sing Don't You Forget About Me hundreds of times. <laughs> so, um, so, um, so I, I, I've tasted that, but nothing prepares you for Trek. Um, Trek is, 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 it's its own society, right? It's like going to another country where your face is on one of the pieces of currency. <laughs> like, right. like you're so, wait, what? It's, it's very strange. So, so, uh, well put. so interestingly enough um i uh i am still the guy who is like collecting toys i'm, I'm not that hasn't changed i'm still the guy who wants to go to WonderCon as a fan last weekend i went to gary con in lake geneva wisconsin to play dungeons and dragons not awesome. because I was an actor on TV, but because I'm a nerd boy who wants to roll dice and play D&D. &D. So none of that has changed. Awesome. What has changed is now the majority of cons that I will be attending in the future, I will be part of the entertainment. Um, right. And so that, that was the thing about the cruise was, uh, you know, it's their cruise. I can't be a fan there, really. I, because because we are the band you right know, we are the entertainment of the cruise and so uh i have a job the minute i step out of my cabin i'm on the clock just walking to the elevator i am an ambassador mm. i am an ambassador so so uh it is an honor uh it is a responsibility it has i mean look there will be big benefits from it um but it changes it it changes um my perspective on uh what i used to you know used to see like you know actors from trek uh at comic-con or whatnot i you know i met brett spiner there's a lovely drunken picture of me uh on an aircraft carrier who was like posing with brett <laughs> when i was there with devil inside uh in 2010 i believe we had gone to see shatner lavar and uh and and spiner chat on an aircraft carrier i remember that well yeah 
And so I have photos of me and Spiner and him just tolerating the shit out of me. Uh, <laughs> Did you remind him of that? Yeah, yeah. I actually sent him the picture. And, <clears throat> and you know, and, and we had a chuckle. Uh, mm. But, yeah, it, it's... I mean, look, there's there there was my life before Trek, and now there is my life after Trek, and uh, and it, but it's all an evolution. It isn't a. I didn't go from zero to a hundred because I have have experienced other yeah. conventions that I've been at. So uh, it wasn't a rude awakening. It's just a an exacerbation of the experience. Hmm, well said. A couple of questions, Brian. Yes, I do. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, I got a. This is actually uh, oh, he already answered the question, but I'm bringing it up. 200 watt studio of two dollars. How is the fan base treating you? Well, he just answered you. They're, they're so <laughs> kind. They're so, like unbelievably kind. Like I did not. I thought people would think he was funny, and I thought people would be like, "I don't like him." Like at the beginning, because by design, you're supposed to hate this guy, and then you're supposed to like this guy. Again, right. welcome to my my wheelhouse. Um, uh, but. I didn't think, I mean, I, I guess if I'm reverse engineering it because of, I think he's so blunt and I, you know, I've described him as having a blue collar charm. I think he might be one of the most relatable Starfleet captains where you go, yeah, that's what I would have said. Mm. That's what I would have done. I would have, you know, I get tired too. And, and, you know, right. Shaw spends half his time exhausted. You, you know, Todd, to piggyback on, on that answer, um, so I don't know what type of character backstory you've crafted for, for Shaw or that uh, Terry has with his writers group, but is there any chance if we ever get a spinoff where Shaw is the main character that we learn that Jellico was his mentor to bring him up through Starfleet? Um, uh, here's why I would say no to that is... Uh, I think um, a that I think it's it, it might be too much of a bullseye. I think I think that I think he is very much colored by his trauma, and not because he sought out uh, like a mentor. You know what I mean? I think uh, he is not a stuffed like I think Jellico is a little more holds his breath a little more. Do you know what I'm saying? I think he's he, there. I think Shaw it just suffers no fools, and right. and he sees those guys as the biggest fools. So. Yeah, and piggybacking on that, there was an actual super chat where it's in in Brandon Bloom's headcanon. Shaw is Jellico's nephew. <laughs> Thank you, Brandon. Yeah, I, I, yeah. It, it's it, it's. I think. I mean, I think. I, look, and I know Roddy Cox. Uh, we've uh, we've had the opportunity to uh, to collaborate in the past. Uh, and I adore Ronnie, so I would love to certainly have share the screen with him. Mm. Um, uh, off camera, I'll tell you all a fun story. Um, all right. <laughs> you know, he, you know, I met him when we were doing the. Um, we I got to interview him for uh, sit down with him for a while actually, when we did the Chain of Command Blu-rays, and that guy is one of the most impressive people that I've met ever oh, spoken to in the entertainment business yeah marathon runner musician uh, guy's incredible deliverance oh dude come on yeah he has a great story about that when he showed up on set they thought they hired somebody else they didn't know it was 
it was actually when he showed up, he had to convince him, no, no, this is I'm I'm the guy you hired. <laughs> the oh, the producer was like, this isn't got no, but then you know, because he's 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 a I mean, look, have you Dick Jones and and uh and look at Dick Jones and Jellico, and if you meet him in real life, where's he's that guy? Good. He's not he's the sweetest, warmest incredible actor. Oh, yeah, he's the best incredible actor. From our friend Alex at the Salty Nerd Podcast. What an incredible guest to have on Raw Rant today. Welcome, Todd. I wish I could join you nerds today. Thank you, Alex. Uh, Absolutely. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> I'm sorry. The, 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 I don't know why you're time, laughing. Every like time it. Todd talks, it makes me laugh, man. The way, he's, he, the way he, uh, he, he treats Alex like he knows me. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it, bud. That's the way he's supposed to. That's the job yeah, of a good actor. That's awesome, man. Yeah, uh, Alex, got, he doesn't like you. He doesn't know you. We're good. We got another one from uh, Oliver Lavera Farig. I can't his name's <laughs> Oliver Lavery Farag. Thank you, right. Todd. Your performance has been a tour de force right from the yeah, offset. I would love to ha- see more of the legacy of this character. Is there a place I can go to sign a p- petition? Perhaps. <laughs> oh, what a nice little boost! Thank you, Oliver. Yes, if you guys <laughs> want to go sign a petition. Because we do want more legacy. You know, you guys have seen Star Trek legacy trending on Twitter and other places like that. And we want crazy. It's so awesome. We want uh, more Captain Shaw if we can get it. Uh, So if you do get that, you can go to quickways. TerryTrek.com will get you there. Uh, Also, I think it's uh, what's change.org slash Star Trek legacy. Star Trek legacy. And that's if you want more Star Trek in the 25th century with many of the characters we have on Picard season three. Thank you for that, Oliver. That's that's awesome. Yes, very kind. Okay, uh, okay, I, I can keep going here. You got any more? Yeah, well, I think there's. A yeah, few- T toys of two dollars. Which villain would you would you want Shaw to go up against, Todd? It's a great question. Oh, I want to, I want to, I want to meet the tar monster. <laughs> I killed, uh, I Armis. Armis, yeah. Some payback on Tasha Yar. Yeah. yeah, there was a there was a theory going around that Armis was the big bad this this season because <laughs> I guess because of, he looks like Tar. I don't know. Um, we sure got Wesley it. Crusher wasn't your real answer. Well, that that could actually be an interesting Paramount Plus movie where one of your because you are a captain of a science vessel that you were actually dispatched back to that planet to go find Armis, mm. and it turns oh. out that Armis is a little bit more. It, 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 and and maybe you because of your you that you are uniquely qualified to deal with him. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> Why not? Super chat from Scott Abel. 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 <laughs> I love you doing this. this I'm so bad with ever. names, you guys. First trek I've ever watched at seven years old was William Wyndham in the Doomsday Machine. Never until PSD. Uh, Liam Shaw in episode four. I've had my hair stand on end the same way. Riveting acting. Thanks, oh, Todd. Thanks, thanks Scott. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I'm gonna T Tony. T Stoney's gonna piggyback on that. Liam Shaw, captain of the people. Thank you. Yes. T-Tone. Rise up. <laughs> it's like the Rock, the people's captain. His words, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> from Todd Fielding, from one Todd to another, you are terrific. I hope Star we Trek Legacy becomes. Together. Yeah, Todd's got to stay together. I hope Star Trek Legacy becomes a reality and you are part of it. Here, here. Todd. Yep. Uh, from, from Jeremy Snyder, when are you guys going drinking together? 
I want to have a bourbon or stout with Captain Shaw, seeing as he's another Midwest dude. What's your favorite beer, Todd? Uh, I I drink. Uh, see, I don't like. Um, I drink like Dragon's Milk, like Bourbon Barrel, Porters, and Dragon's stuff. Milk I, is a great beer, but it's it's hell expensive, dude. Oh my god, it's it, yeah, it's 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 pricey. Um, it's but you only like one will take you there. Yeah, uh, and they make a D twenty with the logo on it. Oh, that's cool. So they oh, have that's rad. Yeah, you know, and that's one know. of those beers that only comes in a four pack. Yeah, you because know. It, and it's yeah. like it's it, like sixteen bucks or something for four. yeah. No, it's pricey, but uh, I, but I am I am I'm I'm more like Riker. I am a bourbonista. I mostly enjoy my whiskey, uh, and mostly uh, bourbon of that whiskey. Uh, yeah, I prefer I prefer I'm a I'm a bourbon guy. I love your Picard uh, winery joke. You know when he offered you the Chateau Picard, and you're like, I'm a bourbon man. Yeah. No, no, I say I'm a Malbec. That's right, a Malbec man. Question of Trek of Riker for being a a bourbon guy. Yeah. Yeah. And and when was getting his crazy jazz on his (laughs) on the computers. (laughs) All the bebop we had to purge. Question of Trek. What do you mean life after Trek? There's no way out. You're stuck with us. You know, there's that joke that so Jerry Jerry tells the story that when she started uh, Voyager, they gave her a t shirt that had the Delta and bars in front of it. And it said lifer. No. Uh, and so, uh, so yeah, no, look, I, 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 meaning a life after Trek, meaning there's a demarcation in my life where there was uh, the way I interfaced in cons and life and my career before Star Trek. And now there is life after having that kind of seismic nerd explosion in my existence. One of my uh, favorite scenes in the show so far has been the moment where you finally meet Jordan the Forge and you're standing in front of him and you're just like having like this teen girl idol moment and you see a card behind you kind of rolling his eyes and having this. I mean, I laughed so With Jerry, yeah. uh, That was a great scene. Can you just kind of describe it a little bit? And Yeah. So the scene of the script, of course, you know, they they brilliantly wrote the fact that he would be a fanboy of the engineer, of this legendary engineer, right? And so uh, I love the fact that we we get to you know peel back another layer of this character and show that that he does actually there are things in this world that that do bring him lightness and joy, and meeting one of his heroes was one of them. Um, so we're we're doing that scene and we're reading it. And you know we're there rehearsing with with uh, Lavar and Mika, and I uh, I I pitched. So there was the original line where where I say this thing, and then he reads me the riot act of how uh, gone to shit the uh, the Titan has become, and um, and they they had this line where it was like where I just sort of go oh touche like like to what you said, and I was like well that to me didn't track a hundred percent. Because touche usually means like I jammed you and you jammed me back. And then I said, I pitched to Terry. I said, what if I just say I had a weird week to kind of uh, <laughs> to kind of explain why my ship is is in disarray? And Terry's like, yeah, that's far, far more Shaw. So then we did it. And I did one take where 
I I just kept stammering. I just what I couldn't I could I just I couldn't I just do it because what 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 I couldn't get the couldn't get the words out and and like it was way too over the top. But then I think Terry was like at that moment he was like, oh we got to get seven and Picard look at each other like what is he doing? So then they got that coverage. So then uh, we're doing a moment. So we do that scene. And then I intentionally kept backing up so that I stumbled into the railing and just try to keep looking cool. And then LeVar looks at me and goes, did you just back into the furniture? I go, (laughs) yeah. And he goes, you are shameless. I'm like, welcome to the Titan. Yeah. Uh, To kind of of piggyback off of what Shane just said, that was legit one of my favorite scenes in the entire series. But I want to know how would Shaw react uh, when he meets the greatest Star Trek character of all time and my favorite, Miles and Miles O'Brien. Well, we, we I mean, O'Brien and I, <laughs> we have suffered a lot of abuse. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, I love, I love Cole Meany, like since the commitment. So uh, I would, a Todd would love to meet uh, uh, Cole, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, of course. Uh, that feels like that would have to happen. Yeah, I think he would. Again, they would. They, those two would go and have a drink, and, and it would be the scene on on the orca was like, "Yeah, well, look at this scar. Yeah, we'll look at this. Scar. Yeah, we'll look at this scar." Excellent. I got a super um, chat from Two Hundred Watt Studio. Todd, in episode three six of the series, you picked something out of your uniform pocket. <laughs> what was it? <laughs> I don't remember that one. <laughs> I don't remember that either. My my uniform has pockets. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's your answer. Two hundred watt studio. In, in six. In six. In, in six. That I shot a year plus ago. Um, I pulled something out of my pocket. I wish we. Yeah, I wish we had that scene. Hey, two hundred watt studio. Can you give me more context? Yeah. Where were where was I? Uh, where? Just type yeah, in the chat. I, yeah, just type in the chat, and we'll we'll get in there. Yeah, From, I would like to know context because it, it may jog my memory. But right now, it might have been my signs. <laughs> 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 From Dustin Cole for twenty dollars. Todd, can you talk about as an actor how phenomenal Brett Spiner's ability to switch back and forth between individual personas is? I think it's amazing talent. I literally was thinking about that in in. Uh, in the shower today i was i was because i was thinking of like to the the uh, the ability to, the, the way he turned on a dime and the way and what i was thinking is brent knows these roles and and as an actor your roles are a certain frequency like i could step into deacon right now and it would feel different than stepping into Shaw. I kind of know where the frequency or Draken or Dracula or any of the, you know, the big roles that I have have a uh, have a groove in my in my brain about. And so there there is a frequency to which uh, at least my process that I can kind of dial in. So I imagine, and again, you know, I, I study with this amazing uh, acting teacher in L.A., Leslie Kahn, and we talk a lot about thoughts. And if the script is written, these are data lines, then he's having data thoughts. If he's having lore thoughts, 
if he's flipping between the frequencies, the physicality will just lock in there because Brent knows those roles so well that I think it was probably a, a treat mm. for him to Jekyll and Hyde like that. And, and this, the deafness of Skrill and the, you know, just, he's a master and he's especially a master at those roles. Yeah. Great answer. We got an answer from 200 Watt Studio and it's pretty funny. It's my version of a question to Shatner on SNL at a Trek convention, which means I was I was waiting for that because <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, I was I was like, are you setting me up to go get a light? Like, <laughs> is that where this is going? Because uh, that's I, I felt I felt uh, that uh, that he was winking at me. Get out of your parents' <laughs> basement. Get out of your parents' basement. <laughs> uh, we got a question from Mark Croson. What else does Todd geek out on, new or old? Hmm what uh oh here's a here's a here's a quiet geek that uh uh that i share with uh with actually rob Lowe, uh, as i worked on 911 lone star i am and jessica chobot if you know jessica i'm a huge uh bigfoot sasquatch nerd deep dive on sasquatch footage videos Sasquatch hunts, I believe. Are you good? Okay, you do because it's very convincing. I want to go. I want to go on a squatch hunt, and and Rob Lowe, Rob Lowe has gone on them, and he's like, really? we got to take you on a squatch hunt. Him and his boys have have camped out in places that are known squatch territories. I want to, uh, like, I think my fascination obviously started with the Patterson film and Andre the Giant on Six Million Dollar Man. Yeah. So, oh, that you know what? I got to hand it to you, Stephanie Powers. That, um, I think my predilection for redheads came about because of her. Have you ever seen um, there? There's a company that made movies in the '70s called Sun Classic Pictures. And they made these pseudo documentaries. The first one they made was called The Outer Space Connection. But the second one they made was called The Mysterious Monsters. And the trailer for it, and they would release these movies regionally, like throughout your state. But they have a big section on the, the Sasquatch. And there's a great moment where this girl's sitting watching TV in her house. And she's sitting, there's a window behind her. And Bigfoot's hand comes through and grabs her. And it's... When I was like eight, it was the greatest thing I ever saw. Yeah, I I, I I am constantly trying to find that two-minute credible iPhone video that somebody shot someplace north of Seattle. Like, it's got to exist. And, and, and by the way, I don't want proof. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah, want yeah. proof. I don't want them to catch him. I want it to remain an eternal mystery that, that I might be, that, that lives on the periphery of my imagination. It's the same with UFOs. I don't actually want them to land and, and clay out to Nick. To, like, I don't want that. I, I want it always to remain on the periphery of my imagination. Fantastic. But I will not stop looking up alien footage, UFO footage, <laughs> Bigfoot footage, nope. like this monster footage. Always, 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 always. We're so on the same a, that page. Is a, yeah, that is a that is a that is my quiet. That's my less obvious. Like, yeah, Star Wars, D and D, Lord of the Rings, Star Trek, Batman. Those are my obvious nerddoms. Uh, but my quiet nerddom is uh, is Bigfoot. 
Okay, Matt Kadish, I want you to set up a camp out for us all to go on and we'll videotape it. Okay, it'll be fun. We'll put it out for everybody. Yeah, I was going to say, that's an amazing YouTube video. Let's do it. <laughs> We're running around scared so in the forest. So One if we thing- get you, me, Jessica Chobot, and, 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 and Rob Lowe, and, and Rob. we all go uh, yeah. and we all go hunt. Uh, <laughs> Hunting scats. Well, with, with, with the writer's strike. With the writer's strike. With the writer's strike looming, uh, reality TV is going to be ramping up production. So I think we can make that happen. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I got a question. Another. Bigfoot. Go what, what happened? I think we lost Todd, actually. He's frozen. Or am I frozen? No, you're I'm not frozen. I, you're not frozen. Okay. I was going to say, I mean, is it me? Am I having a stroke? Well, I'm sure he'll be back in there. Oh, he's, he back. he's back. He's back. <laughs> Woo. It's the We're Bigfoot stuff. Talking. The government got you. Yeah, the guy. I thought, I thought I the CIA got listening. to you. <laughs> and we got a question from Anko O. Uh, another another convention question. What happened in the elevator with Vatic? And just oh, to refresh your memory, you did uh, the character Shaw appears to have gotten beat up in the elevator. And there's a going theory that they turned you into a changeling. They slammed me into the wall, and. Uh... And I yell, it's hard to hear, but I yell to seven, blow the turbo lift. Oh. Oh, that's rad. If you listen, there's a moment before she, uh, I say, blow the turbo lift. Oh, that's so rad. When you lost the two Starfleet officers to your left and right, was there a moment where you said, oh shit, I shouldn't be going towards this turbo lift anymore? Or did you were like, "I'm, I'm all in no matter what happens? Oh, look, he's that Shaw is uh, <laughs> Shaw is he's he's on the front lines. He will he will he will be the one to go. All right, uh, take take me, not my crew. Mm. Take me, and so he is going to do. That's why he says, "Blow the turbo lift." Mm, you yeah, hear it, it's real muscle, but but you hear it. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, <clears throat> another another super chat from Ghost Writer. I find my way back to Hollywood writer's room, I'll happily DM and roll dice with you, Todd. Well, that's very kind. Thanks, Ghost Writer. <laughs> Speaking I, of, I did I you see Dungeons and Dragons? I'm sorry. And... No, go ahead. No, I, you, what you were saying. I, I, oh, I was I, saying, I, I love playing D&D. I, I, read a, I read a game for my daughter yesterday, actually not D&D, but a game called Mazes. We ran it last night, and it was really fun. Uh it's a yeah, it's sort of an OSR vibe. It's great. What what do your kids think of Liam Shaw? Do they watch? You know what? I will say this: my son, uh, my my daughter watched the first four episodes that they sent me uh, to watch uh, for um, before I did uh, Ready Room, and she was riveted. She loved the show. Um, she hasn't asked to watch more, but that has more to do with her being 15 and wanting to be on her phone. My uh, kids today don't, or my kids today don't watch much television. Yeah. Uh, but she does love, she did love Good Omens. She loved Stranger Things. Uh, she watches Mando with us. Uh, and I tried to get her to watch uh, 12 Monkeys a few years back in the height of lockdown in the minute that Aaron Stanford got bamboo under. His fingernails, she was like, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> nope. I don't need that nightmare fuel. Um, but my son, I think, uh, my son, I have a 25-year-old, and I think he thinks it's cool. Um, but again, my kids don't watch TV. They're, they're, they're like, oh, you're on TV. Okay. Yeah. 
That's cool. <laughs> my son was like, oh, you're going to a premiere at the Chinese? It's like, I want to go. Because he wanted to go to a premiere at the Chinese, not because he could have cared less about the... Uh, so I, I invited my super fan Star Trek friends to that premiere, and my son stayed home and ate pizza with my daughter. Nice. Kids keep us <laughs> humble, they right? Didn't watch, they didn't watch Star Trek, no. <laughs> they could not be less interested in what I do for a living. Understood. <laughs> We're the same way. They like, yeah. they like when it gets me uh, private tours of Disneyland. They like that. They like when, like, because I was on the Disney Channel, we get the the, the plaid vest, uh, you know, guided tour. They like that, but watching the show that that got me that, no. Yeah, no, I, I hear you, man. I, my kids love YouTube, so when I told them that we finally had a hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube, they were like, "Oh, that's great." Anyways, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yawn. Super chat from uh, Jeet Sinavanathan. Oh, <laughs> They're doing this to you on purpose now. Oh, Geet Sivanathan. Thank you. That's a Thank beautiful you, name. Picard season three, aka the Shawshank Redemption. Redemption. Mm. Also, thanks for being such a daddy. <laughs> yes. Hashtag Star Trek Legacy, and of course, Todd knows that uh, Liam Shaw is a daddy. So he's a daddy. Sure. Star Trek daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Star Trek Daddy. That's, That's going right. to trend. We're going to Twitter. Super chat from Ghost Rider. Is it true Terry always keeps his uh, keeps his word? Always to all involved in Picard season three. May may your work bring glory to you and your house. Kapla. I have uh, always found that Terry is a man. He's a man of his word. Um, yeah, like I said, he's you know he's. He has uh, a, our collaboration has been a wonderful one for me and singularly altered my life. So uh, I am forever grateful to Terry Metallic. On the note of Terry, and Todd, if hope we could... to get to work with him more, please. Yeah, um, we do too a lot because you guys are magic together. What uh, what is it that you think that makes? And I ask this of of everybody that works with him. What do you think makes him such a good showrunner? Well, he understands. He has he has a very great global eye of of what he wants from every department, and I think I mean he is hearing the score in his head as he's as he's literally sitting in the director's chair or the writer's room. He's seeing what he wants to see through the lens, but so he knows what he wants, and he's willing to have his mind changed. Mm. So if you pitch him a better idea than what he had in his head, he's like. Yeah, that's better. Do that. He was he's not dogmatic. He has I think Terry has incredible instincts. That is what I've learned from We Lost Matt. Uh <laughs> I have just I I, I I cannot do what he does. When when I, I've watched him I have watched him uh sit with editors before. And I've watched him like his eyes watching the screen and like, oh no, shave a half a second. Like, like mm. he understands this medium and he understands what uh, delights people. And I think, um, and I've said this before, he has incredible taste. He has incredible taste in, in shots, in music, in casting, in um in 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 who, how he builds his writer's room like 
he surrounds himself like all good directors should with incredibly capable human beings mm. and and then he lets them do their job um so yeah and and i and i also think he does he has not lost sight of and I, i've made the spielberg comparison and he hates it um <laughs> he has not lost sight of what delights him as as a fan that's kind uh, of part of the passion i do think that's a key to the passion is yeah. like like remaining a fan yourself yeah and and, yeah. and he and he just wants to i mean he really wants to tell more star trek stories like mm. He really wants that, and he really and, and and he's proven that he knows how to do it. Yeah, you hear that, Paramount? You better jump on it before somebody else steals him because he's a hot commodity, baby. Okay, I uh, think, I think Par Paramount has their plate full right now. Yeah, uh, that's true. Between Starfleet Academy and Strange New Worlds, and mm. uh, you know, there's talk of other projects. Uh, so I think I think they have uh, they have their plate full right now, but. Uh, we can squeeze in one more, one more for Terry, hopefully. One, one more. Okay, okay. we got a super chat from. Jeez, uh, I can't say it. Is it a name? Jeff Gloff two eight one four. Jeff Gloff. Jeff Gloff. Gloff Oh, Jeff Green Lantern or Sector two oh, eight one four. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Thank, Thank you. Jeez, this I'm is just why saying, Rob's here. It does say Green Lantern Corps right there. <laughs> My brain is broken today. Jeff I apologize. Green Lantern of Sector two eight one four. I'm just saying. I mean, Jeff, that's the Green Lantern. I'm not getting it. Of sector 2814 uh, for $20. What would I do without you? I don't know. Finishing my first D&D &D campaign ever, Beastmaster Ranger, in case anyone was curious. Does Shaw have any... Is that, your, is that yours? No. That's what I was about to ask. Oh, does Shaw have any D&D stuff in his ready room that Todd may have snuck in? Any chance we'll see you at Dragon Con anytime soon? Okay, let me uh, let me take these questions in order. No, uh, I did not sneak any D and D stuff uh, into uh, into the ready room. Uh, I have plenty of D and D stuff, as you have witnessed in this room. Um, so, no to that question. Any chance you'll see me at Dragon Con anytime soon? Uh, that is one that I am not. Uh, I have not been uh, asked to up here at hmm. so no and i've never been to dragon con actually uh i've been to a lot of conventions but i've never been to that specific one i hear good things someday maybe yeah awesome yeah we're get out the invite there and make sure they invite them out to it because you are doing a lot of cons this year so yes okay Brian? yes yes sir um we got a question from question of trek We'd love to get Todd, or not a question, I guess a statement. We'd love to get Todd in one of our Trek fan cartoons, but the rules won't allow it. I wonder where that is. They make, uh, they, that this channel makes cartoons of, of Star Trek. Ah. Oh, so they're saying, oh, so he's winking, though. Okay. <laughs> he's winking. Yeah. So that's Maybe he's going to do it anyways. <laughs> that's, not even, that's not even a question. So it's just a statement. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, here's a question. Uh, how about a Shaw and Seven Nine on-screen romance? I think her dance card is full. Uh, I think uh, I, I, I think I see their their relationship as much more uh, siblings. Uh, I don't I don't for I, I don't see that as a romantic thing. And I think there's so much unfinished business with her and Rafi that that needs to uh, that is where that part of of seven's um life 
is focused in terms of she has her she has her her professional life and then she has her personal life and i think her personal life uh that that is that is with her and rafi and i think i think fans uh appreciate that as well uh i see no reason to uh impose romance on the relationship between seven and shaw i saw jerry ryan put up a post on twitter today that they actually had like uh, an iPhone in the armrest of your captain's chair. And so, you guys so, out we discovered, so we discovered, we were sitting there that because they have them locked in. We discovered if you take the, if you take the little mounting frame off, it's just, it's just an iPhone there. <laughs> so, that, so that it has display, it has buttons that you hit and do, 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 do. And then we're like, well, hang on. And then we flipped open the camera and then reversed it so that it's looking up. And then we just kept like making videos and we would spin and take videos so that the roof is going like this. And even Patrick was like getting in on it. So somewhere, some prop master has a litany of ridiculous up the nose photos of Jerry and myself and Patrick and whoever else we could get in on our shenanigans. What was it like on the on the on, out there with just these legacy Trek characters, including you know Patrick and and um, and uh, uh, Jerry? What was it like spending time with them and getting to know them now more? You know, I would I, so so a, a better way because always the answer to that question is great. Like that's a <laughs> that's a it, it was great. Uh, so more specifically, uh, one could say. Um, what's what's what are some of the things that happened that 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 i can at least rely on like a memory uh i'm just trying to frame the question so that it is not as easy of an answer of they're awesome um that's what it was like um <laughs> but you know what i'm saying like yeah, so, so yeah. More specifically uh like things that we would do and hang out um Riker, uh william franks and i uh uh William Riker, Jonathan Franks, and I, um, we both are singers. We love to sing. So we often would find ourselves singing or we would have this game where we would try to pull the most random celebrity name and throw it at the other just out of nowhere. Just go, I would just look at him and go, Estelle Getty. And he would be like, <laughs> Good, good, and then and then Golden he would girls. be look up and, and go Shirley Hemphill. Oh, I love nice. what's happening. Exactly. Mm. So, like, so that was like a kind of experience that, like, this is the relationship between he and I. Um, uh, Patrick uh, would regale me with stories. Uh, told me this amazing story about how. So Patrick is a, a race car. He loves cars, or he, not a race car. He loves automobiles. He has he has a, sort of a, an affection for. He's a he's a car guy, and he was uh, in a play with this woman who, at the time, was dating Paul McCartney, and Paul owned a car that Patrick loved, and Paul told showed up backstage after the play. And threw Patrick the keys and said, hey, let's go for a drive to my country house. Oh, my God. So Patrick drove Paul McCartney. So Patrick's telling me, he's like, so I'm driving Paul McCartney at like 1 o'clock in the morning to a country house in England. And then I'm like, 
I'm driving Paul McCartney. Um, <laughs> slow down. Make sure you don't do anything reckless because I don't want to be the one who uh, who killed the beetle. Uh, yeah, so I mean, that, that's like, when you say what's it like, that's what it's like. It's that. It's, it's human beings sharing stories that uh, have had really fun experiences and each person that I hang out with I have a different dynamic with because I'm a different person uh, and so Frakes and I have this history where we've worked together before and, and we have a common sense of humor and Patrick I I want to hear all the all the all the stories and Jerry and I we are we are the same age she went to school in Illinois uh, where I'm from so we have a lot in common and, and Jerry is an She's a self-admitted easy laugh, and I'm a monkey. So <laughs> I we go together love well. Making Jerry laugh because her laugh echoes throughout the soundstage. Awesome. So that's when you say what it's like. That's literally physically what it's like. Uh, emotionally, it was great. Thank you for asking. For, thank you for asking the question better than I did and giving us such a great answer. But you know what I mean? Like, cause, cause that, I mean, look, and you're not, you're not the first to ask it. That is a very common question. What's it like to hang out with these legacies? Mm. Uh, and, and to the only way I can give you a better answer is to give you examples of what it was like, not how I was feeling. Yeah. Good point. You know what I, mean? I, I have one for you, uh, Captain Shaw. I mean, uh, Todd. Yeah. Uh, from Adam Van Garrison, he says, "As a lifelong fan of Jordy, thank you for the amazing Grease Monkey fanboy scene with Levar Burton. It was both funny and heartwarming." So my question, just to tack onto that, Adam, is, uh, and I'm going to use your example: Are there any stories you could tell us that you were you able to hang out with Levar Burton at all on set? Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, you, you spend more time off screen than you do on, right? So we are we are all seated uh, in in the back row, and uh, Levar has a great podcast where he reads short stories, and so we would talk about that. And and I was you know I was you know I had to drive to work every day, so I'm like oh I, he turned me on to this podcast where he reads these stories, and so we would talk about the story that I was listening to that he was be reading there, and and. Mika, uh, his daughter, is a big Dungeons and Dragons player. She's actually coming over this week to play D and D with me. Oh, cool! And Terry, yeah, um, and actually Bonnie Gordon, who is the voice of the computer on Prodigy. Uh, so we're having a little mini trek uh, reunion here uh, around my around my uh, my game table. Um, so yeah, Lavar. Look, I've been watching Lavar. My mom uh, showed my my sister and i roots when it first came out so i've i have lavar burton has been on my radar since i was you know a young child i don't remember what year that came out but reading since rainbow. then yeah but prior to reading rainbow i, I was aware of lavar and and have been a fan of his work um my wife is like at the premiere she just goes he's so hot <laughs> <laughs> so i so i had to i had to disclose that to him i'm like just so you know, my wife, uh, you give her the feels. Um, so, uh, but he, he's, he's everything you think he is. Uh, he's kind, he's generous, he's funny. 
uh, smart, all of the, like, just being, he's, I mean, it's, say somebody's smart, people are smart. He's so well-read, and he loves story, and he loves fiction, and so I love chatting with him about those things, yeah. Well, we might as well throw a Gates in there while while we've done LeVar, so we don't want to leave her out, because I know she watches, too. How what was it like spending Gates. time with Gates? Yeah. So Gates, uh, also, Gates was so sweet, because when she when when she introduced herself to me she had already been watching uh 12 monkeys so mm. she's a big sci-fi nerd like she loves good tv and 12 monkeys is it so she was she, so like she's like i love your character i love deacon and so she was so sweet what a great way to meet somebody that i've been watching forever uh to tell them that they like you know them telling you that they like your work is like oh god you disarmed choreographed me. labyrinth yeah labyrinth yeah you know and, and so what i Oh, no, go sorry. Ahead. Well, no, again, when we were working on, um, I, I interviewed her twice when we were doing the Blu-rays for TNG, and it was, it was pretty funny. Um, she was absolutely delightful. I love her. And the second time, so these were long interview sessions, and the second time I was doing them at CBS Television City, I, I had been perhaps maybe drinking too much between the first interview and the second interview. I'd gotten in a little better shape, you know, since the, and I walked into we I walked into the lobby of, of CBS television city. And she like, she looks at me and she goes, you look great. Have you lost weight? I mean, and I was looking at her. I was like, I was being professional. Cause I, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm my love for redheads and all that is renowned. And I just, the fact that you said it to me, my heart, just melted <laughs> so i mean i she i adore her and uh my god is she not the greatest thing ever yeah todd She's has so she kind. has she ever revealed to you her secret for looking as good as she does and for the love of god <laughs> well she is a she is a dancer you know and 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 she had her she had a theater in um it was at noho or studio city like this was 10 years ago but she she had a theater that she was doing a lot of work out of. I, I don't, forgive me, I don't remember what it was. Yeah, I don't know. But she I, did. I, I, I just keep I thinking of, of Keith Richards and his deal with the devil so he can't be killed by conventional means. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Did, did she do the same thing? Like, like she looks amazing. She, uh, so she's, she's, she, she, she's a very, like, joie de vivre person, right? So she, she keeps herself, uh, she's just curious and interested and active and, fun uh, i i have several fruit trees in my yard and so she makes marmalades and jams and things like that and so i would bring her uh trader joe's bags filled with picked citrus <laughs> from my yard and she was just like keep it coming and she would turn them into jams and then bring them to me well that's so, cool uh so we had a we had a, a circuit of uh of of uh of fruit products between us. That's awesome. You mentioned Brent a little bit earlier. Is uh, any stories with Brent? Brent is, uh, he is one of the fastest improvisers. Uh, his mind is so quick. Uh, and one of my favorite things with a person, when you click with a person, is the ability to roll into a bit. And no one rolls into a bit more stealthy than than Brett. He uh, 
so we were on the cruise together and we would have lots of meals together and you know you spend time and i just love hanging out with him because he's just so much fun to riff with as but like jerry is fun to hang out with she's just so fun and ebullient and laughs and laughs and laughs brett brett uh brett will go into a bit with me and so we will stay and and we will improvise together just over food and, oh, and that makes me so happy yeah, he was he was. Right. A, I'll let you get to the question, but he was at lunch with Terry earlier today. Him and Jonathan, and he they actually oh, put really? out. Did you see that video? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Sorry if they didn't call you, but uh, they <laughs> he put out a video where I guess Brent said his Twitter was hacked, and uh, it's like a two minute video. It's hilarious. It's on Twitter out there, and you get to see Jonathan Frakes give us the uh, "Live Long and Prosper" sign at the end of it. So Aww. you'll have to you'll have to ask him about what happened there. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I got a statement and a couple questions for you, Todd. From Lord Toth, Sasquatch. Nah, when it comes to Canada, we go for the Yeti watch party. Oh. I'll bring the scotch top shelf only for my fellow captain. I'm a bourbon guy. I mean, I'll have scotch if that's all that's available, but I'm a bourbon guy. <laughs> um, uh, or Canadian whiskey. Um, uh, the, the Yetis are not in Canada. Yetis are in the land. <laughs> you could have a wood booger. You could have uh you could have a Sasquatch. You could have like you there are many things, but you do not have a Yeti in Canada. <laughs> That's an Asian answered, beast, I believe. Yeah. I think he answered your uh your statement with a with a, a higher statement. Hey, I got a question for you. Uh from Noda band account, not a band account. Damn it, god damn it. <laughs> How do you balance Shaw's brooding and sexiness, and just to, mm. I'm gonna tap onto that because it's, it's it's too it's too good not to. Um, I lost it. Oh, also, does Todd Star Trek Daddy stash yeah. ship La Crush? <laughs> what? So a double statement there. How do you how do you balance your brooding and your sexiness, and does the Star Trek Daddy himself ship La Crush? What is ship? Uh, you mean uh, you know, relationship. Romance, romance together uh, where, where, relationship. and shipping something you've combined their names lacrosse laforge and crusher lacrosse um uh i'm still figuring out how i balance my <laughs> it's natural it's a natural thing it's natural yes. uh it, that just makes me giggle i i i, I <laughs> as if it's a conscious thing that i'm doing hang on let me no do, that's very good do it right now Tony. Hmm. uh Blue steel. Uh, I, 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 no, I find I find I I I don't I am not comfortable with this question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's why I that's why I gave it a double question just in case. How do you feel There's about the Lacrosse La uh, uh, ship? Uh, it, it's I mean, look, it's clearly written into the script. Right. So it's like like it's it's uh, I, I I it's good storytelling. It's it's a lot of fun and. And I'm a, I'm a romantic at heart, so so uh, let's let's all go, let's all go. Let's let's see where that uh, with those romantic. Uh, speaking of, speaking of Crash LaForge, do you know how her hair got so long between two episodes? What? Yes, I don't know. No, I don't. <laughs> know. Her, her hair just changed completely between. Uh, 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 my guess is wigs. Okay. There you go. Good answer. Yeah. 
Okay, we got a, a, another question from T and Toys. What ship at Starfleet at the Starfleet Museum would Shaw visit? Question. Ooh, good question. He's about to show you. There it is. Oh. There's no letter designation after those numbers. Amen. Yep. 1701. That's that's that this one has my heart. Beautiful. That's, that's the that's answer. OG. Yeah. I think Have you I guys seen the tree it. topper? Have you seen the tree topper? Well, you've got it there. Oh, oh, wait, yeah, I have it in the video. Wait, I didn't wait, know there was wait, a tree topper. Wait, wait, listen. It's so good. <laughs> oh, there it is. Wait. Come on! <laughs> That's a. Crazy I was I was it? denied that by the way this year. It gets better. That's a very pricey piece, and I wanted. My it. wife got this for me. She just walked in. Come say hi, Shuey. Your wife nice. is a wait, good wait. woman to buy that. God bless you. I know we're breaking all kinds of copyright right now. <laughs> De- Let them come out. Demonetized. Yeah. <laughs> they can come after us. This no, is this better. is this is this is fair use, bro. Yeah, it's fair use. Oh, it's right? commentary. Come on. It's so good. Todd, have you ever gotten to meet William Shatner? I worked with him on Shit My Dad Says. Yeah, he was on Shit My Dad Says. So you, 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 did, you did two yes. episodes, right? I did. Yeah. I did, I did. Uh, so and, uh, and then, so, uh, so, so we get on the ship and, and we share the same con booking agent, Gary uh, Hassan. And, uh, and, and and Gary's like, Todd, have you met uh, 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 Bill? And Bill goes, oh, very, very nice to meet you, Todd. And I go, oh, we actually worked together. He goes, we did? Uh, I go, yes. Uh, I go, on shit, my dad says, he goes, very nice to meet you, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> That's Bill. Speaking of that, that Todd, Bill. from Sean Hughes for 499, who is Captain Shaw's favorite captain? Mm. Captain Shaw. Yeah, that's the answer. That's the I, answer. I actually I could have answered that. Who's Todd Stashwick's favorite captain? Kirk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he was my first. Like he, and when I think of the you know the work that, and look, they're all great. Like I I I, I think what Anson is doing is great. I loved Sonequa's performance. I like I love. Uh, it is a very well cast series. Uh, all of it. Like like. Picard is fantastic. Like he's, they're great. Jadeway's fantastic. Um, uh, I left out Bacala and uh, and uh, and and Cisco. Like they're, it's a really well cast show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but Kirk is my favorite. Uh, just when I think of the work that he just he does in Wrath of Khan, uh, and I'm like, he's he's so talented. He's so talented, mm-hmm. and he can ring so much out of a moment and his his mind is so awake and he's funny and he's he has gravitas i just i i love william shatner's work as captain kirk uh cost without pants down i love i love william shatner's work <laughs> and again and in the films I, I i especially love his work excellent great answer he's my favorite too he, i think everybody's here is target oh, <laughs> so good, so good. He's Rob's favorite, I know. Oh, um, we, yeah, yeah. 
We got a uh, super chat from Andre Benson. Again, thank you, like Andre. Like a poor marksman. Oh. <laughs> For Todd, you said Terry would listen to you if you had an idea on something. Did you and the cast have any ideas for this season you brought up to Terry? Oh, of course, I, I actually listed one, which was, uh, which was the uh, It's Been a Weird Week. Uh, that was mm. I pitched that line to him. Um, and, and, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I love the... Like again, Terry's always watching. Uh, he's because they'll have cameras when they're doing coverage. They'll have cameras on it, and I'm tr- always trying to listen to what other actors are saying. And the fact that I get coverage in the weirdest places, I can only thank Terry for. And one of my favorite moments is when Frank says "burgle." Excellent use of the word "burgle." And they come to me going. <laughs> that was a great. That was a great scene. And it is now a meme. Somebody has cut that with me and Jerry to "Sweet Dreams." So it's so it's like me going. That's great. I love the internet. Well, that's the beautiful thing. It's it's the it's the associations people make. That's that that's the beginning of a great meme. Is and you never know what free associations will do to people. Yeah, like dipshit from Chicago. Dipshit from Chicago has become a thing now. I'm a dipshit from California. And who would have thought it, that would be that would be something associated with Star Trek, right? I, I'm true. waiting. I'm waiting for the the um, Buck Rogers in the 25th century and the Liam Shaw mashups because, of course, <laughs> William Buck Rogers, Gil Gerard himself, is of course from Chicago, and uh, where I was born in the same uh, of another space captain. I was born in the same uh, hospital as a very famous captain of a, sh- a spaceship. Can you guess which one? Hmm. Uh, a Robert home. question because I don't remember. Wow, I, I, a Chicago captain. Nope, nope. I was born in the same hospital as another captain of a famous starship. Oh, the famous, the same, the same hospital. Yeah. If anybody in the uh, in the quotes can answer, that's a good one. You, well, that is a good one. A, you get a nod. I wow. share. I share the same hospitals, the same birthplace of a very famous captain in science fiction history. Mm. Well, that's tough because I were you born in Chicago? I don't know where you were yes. born. Okay, yes. you're born in Chicago. Yep. If we can get this, Rob, none of us can. So. Gonna, well, he's, well, while Rob is thinking here. about that, you're about to short short circuit Rob's brain right now. <laughs> I know. Now I'm thinking. I'm, I'm, I'm like rifling through who was born in Chicago. <laughs> Rob knows everything, and then all of a sudden Probably. he's like, "All right, all right." I'm I don't know everything. Outside of Close. track, I'll, I'll give it away without saying it. It is my favorite captain in the history of science fiction. Hmm. What's the what's the franchise? There's so many. No, no that wait, wait, wait. The, your favorite and your favorite captain in all of science fiction. It can't be Star Wars because Earth doesn't exist in that. Charlton Heston. No, I didn't say the captain was born. I, the actor. I was born in the same hospital. Oh, oh, oh! I was Harrison thinking, Ford. Okay. Yes. Ah, Harrison, okay. Ford, Harrison Ford and I were born in the same hospital. See, I was everyone on the panel, it. Shane gets and, it first. And, uh, and, yeah, and you just you said Earth doesn't exist. It does. <laughs> okay, okay. It just, it's okay. in a galaxy. See, I, I, my mind was thinking fictitious, not yeah. actual. Oh, yeah, Harrison, Harrison I was. Ford and I, my mind. I was thinking yeah. Kirk was born in Iowa. You know where? Mm. where? No, no, no. 
I was no. thinking Charlton Heston's captain from Planet of the Apes. But see, because yeah. I was going fictional. Yes. Now, Tom Stashwick was born in the same hospital as. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of captains, yeah. and this is a horrible transition, but I'm trying here. Mickey Lito says, Frakes, acting or directing, which do you prefer? I know you have to ask him. Hmm. No, he's asking what's your favorite, I guess, version of Frakes. If, if, is, is your best acting or best directing? They're, they're, there are two different versions. Like, like that's uh, it, what was really fun. I had already been directed by Frank's and I knew I loved that. Uh, mm. So this experience was the first time I got to act with him. So I love that as well. well um, that's a, Can I follow that up? And, and it, it seems like Jonathan Frakes has, you know, the, this is not a criticism, but the characters in next generation were more archetypes than they were characters because they weren't allowed to grow over the course of the series. And I think the writing uh, for Frakes for, for the character uh, yeah. of Riker. And I think the writing has been just exemplary uh, of his character yeah. and yeah. he has never been better. I mean, so I, he is so good. And yeah. did you ever speak with him about the quality of the writing or, and he's also, oh, he, he's said, he, he literally himself. said, now he said Terry uh, and, and the writers have never. He said he said Riker has never been written better. I I, I totally agree, and you know it's really interesting because he talked about when I interviewed him for those discs. He talked about John, the actor John Anderson, who played uh, Mister Uxbridge in the third uh, third season episode, The Survivors of TNG. And that, that actor was on an episode of The Twilight Zone called The Odyssey of Flight 33, and Frakes acted with him in North and South. And they had a really long uh, association. And um, he, you know, he imparted a lot of lessons on Frakes. And he talked about writing and, and all that. But I, I, I see, like, that actor, John Anderson, in that one episode of, of Next Generation was so good. And when I see the writing and I see Frakes sort of channeling what he's, I, I look at what he's done. It's amazing. Not that yeah, he never so had it in him, but a, an actor is only as good as great. the writing he's given. Hundred percent. And and you know, and I've gone on to say this because people have been so kind and complimentary about the Wolf Three Five Nine um, monologue. I didn't write it, and I didn't edit it i didn't light it i didn't uh right. i didn't direct it and so it, it 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 takes a team to deliver something like that it it takes frank's giving me the room to experiment and play and because he did direct that it. episode yeah he did and he also allowed me to do it from the beginning every time so that it could have the build that it needed to build. He would adjust it in between takes and go, all right, now let's try a version of it where you play with it like this. Great. Now I would do it from beginning to end. Might, might you explain to people that don't necessarily understand what it means when you're shooting a TV show to actually be able to start a scene from the beginning? Because sometimes you do pickups, you cut in. What does that mean for you as an actor? Well, Especially when that that was like a two-page monologue, so yeah. uh, it means a lot because it allows you then to reset and live in it, and you don't have to suddenly arrive at a certain emotion because we're just turning the cameras on to get you to this part. 
We're just going to get this part. All right, well, how do I get that right there in the middle of this monologue emotionally uh, when I, I had this nice runway before? So the mm. luxury and Jonathan to, to give me the space to reset and, and Patrick and Ed uh, giving me their full uh, attention and, uh, and patience uh it, it's it's a rare gift and to have something written the way it, that was written just in television that just doesn't happen often mm. especially with right. a gay star yeah like i was not part of the regular cast like you had they were there like the fact that in a show called picard and i'm in the scene with patrick stewart and they gave that to me like oh my gosh yeah. It felt like a movie. It it, it it does, and and so does all of Picard season three. It it really does, as Terry's described it, a ten hour movie. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. it feels that way. Um, yeah. So, Brian, do we have any more questions? Yes, we do. Sorry. Um, from oh man, Kai L Wong. <laughs> you have five minutes. I got about five minutes. Okay. okay. All right. I'm, I'm going to try to burn through the questions here. Weird thing to say, but would you? But would like to see Todd as a doctor in Doctor Who. Yep. What other sci-fi yep. franchises would you like to do? Uh, you know, I was up for Guy's Baltar, and uh, I I passed on the audition. I went into the oh. initial audition. Like, they want to test you for Guy's Baltar, and I was like, I just want to stay home and do sitcoms. I've got a four-year-old child. I just want to be in LA and do sitcoms. And then it turned out to be my favorite sci-fi show. Uh, of that uh, of the decade and uh and, but it was also i was never going to get it because james callis again a suit that was tailored to fit him like he's perfect and then i got to work with him and and uh, on 12 monkeys and we got to talk about it um and i adore james and i was glad i didn't go to that i, I look i wouldn't have booked it because it was his to lose um so uh but i would love to have been a part of uh a part of uh Battlestar ultimately there was a prequel that they were trying to get off the ground that I auditioned for that I would like uh, to have gotten um, I would love to play the doctor or the master um, and you know what a lot of the sci-fi franchises that I want to do uh, I want I, I have original ideas you know I have ideas or uh, I'll just uh, I, I'd like to keep playing Shaw please um, I I yeah, so it's it's it's. It, I'd like to be a Ghostbuster. I mean, that's oh hell yeah, that would be oh, amazing. Yeah. If they ever reboot Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know, mm. I'd love to see you play Zaphod Beeblebrox. That'd be cool. Oh, the president of the galaxy. Another question. I'd like to. Yeah. I'd like to play. Um, I'd like to play uh, Dresden, Harry Dresden. Uh, oh, that's yeah. a good one. That'd yeah. be great. I mean, I mean nothing would oh, make me perfect. happier than than doing a supernatural Rockford file. Yes. Oh, well, God, I, uh, wait a minute. I did say on Twitter. Oh, I know. That no, you said should, that a, that yeah. I should play Jim Rockford. Jim but I, that, those are some big shoes to fill. So I would rather, like, I had been talking, to, you know, Chris Montfett and I often talk about stuff. I'm like, I just want to play a supernatural Rockford Files. I want to <laughs> be like kind of a down on his luck PI who lives out of his car, but who also, you know, understands that you need to uh, keep the world safe from demons. Hell yes. Uh, John Constantine Shaw. Yeah. I want to do that show. Okay. Uh, another question. And then I got some Mike comments. 
a lot of people want to uh, express their love for you, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read them out. Um, last question here before these comments. Considering his distaste for Picard and Riker, what would Shaw himself think of Captain Kirk? Would love to see the two interact together. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, he doesn't have the history with Kirk uh, and the recklessness that he perceives, like like the re recklessness of of Picard's enterprise literally led to the most traumatic day of Shaw's life. I think he doesn't have the same baggage he would have with Kirk, and uh. so I think I and I think. I think he has a certain level of swagger that he would admire in Kirk. Because I think yeah. I think Shaw has a bit of that. I love that there's answer. A laid, there's a there's a there's sort of a laid backness swagger to Shaw that lives in Kirk as well. All right, so That's we got it. some comments here for you from Black Magnum. <laughs> Kirk Picard, Cisco, Janeway, Archer, and Shaw. Yeah, baby. From No yeah. Money G, awesome panel, and love shots. Love this season. Thank you, guys. Thank you, No Money. I can't, well, guys, I can't even look at that written and <laughs> and and cognitively process that. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I get I, that. I don't even know. I don't even know where to put that without having some semblance of tears well up in That's my That's awesome. Soul. That's well, there's more, so get ready. We're gonna make Todd cry here, everybody. Ready? <laughs> no, but just like like literally seeing those that list of names, and then my character's mm. name is at the end of it. I can't even. That's that childhood it's dream. To, it's it's hard for me to take it seriously, uh, and then at the same time go. That's what they wrote. Like they wrote that. Like mm. that's they put him in that. In, he's the captain of a Starfleet ship. Like well, yeah. Nobody better and deserves somehow, it. Todd, so this knucklehead. Well, thank you, but thank uh, God you got I, it. I, I, I can't. Uh, I can't process that. Well, and and it's a Titan. Like it's so like there's some ships that everyone's been aware of, but never really got to see on screen until very recently, and that was the Titan for a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, love Captain Shaw. Hope there's a Titan show. That's well, all of us feel the same way. Thank you, Sean. Also from uh, not a band account. I figured it out now. You guys aren't going to get me anymore. Your portrayal as the grounded career captain is a welcome contrast to the old Cowboys. Best new Trek character in a decade. Thank you. Not a bad account. Thank you. <laughs> not a bad account. From Jake Soley, thank you for bringing Shaw to life. I watch Star Trek on a daily basis. Show how, uh, how to help uh, helps my anxiety. It's good to see the franchise that brings me joy and calm has a bright future. Yeah. Amen. So, so I, I want to close because uh, I had a split, but I want to okay. I, I want to address that and say, hey, thank you, Jake. Um, uh, and I've brought this up before. One of the big things that has come out of this is um, is veterans and people who suffer from anxiety and suffer from PTSD and suffer from survivor's guilt and other troubles. Uh, have reached out to me uh, publicly and privately uh, to to say they connect to this guy and uh, and to see the portrayal of survivor's guilt and to, the portrayal of PTSD um, and how he's still functioning and he's still in there do, trying to do his best in the world and still going. Yeah, you know what? These things cause me to be crunchy too. Like people are saying this to me. They go, uh, I, I don't want to be perceived as an asshole, 
uh, I suffer from these things. So sometimes it colors how I present to the world. And thank you for showing that that's okay and he's not a bad person because of it. Uh, those are the humbling things about storytelling. And I've said this before that story are empathy machines. And if we can live in somebody else's shoes fictionally, uh, we get to field test those emotions, field test those relationships so that hopefully it makes our connection to each other better, easier, more tolerant, more understanding and more compassionate. And that's Star Trek at its best. Excellently said. Thank you so much, Todd. We want to thank you, our wonderful guest, Todd Stashwick, for sharing his valuable time with us today. Uh, I have a few dates here if you want to catch Mr. Stashwick live and in person. He'll be in Calgary at the Comic and Entertainment Expo later this month, um, which unfortunately falls on the same day as our special event we are about to share with you guys. So stay tuned while, we, while, while Todd goes. Additionally, you can get more Todd Stashwick sightings. Uh, you can catch him at Raleigh, North Carolina this July at GalaxyCon. And at STLV, the 57-year mission, this August in Las Vegas. We will be there, of course, Woot. with you. And uh, we thank you so much, Todd, for coming on today. Thank, thank you, Todd. You Always good to see you, man. Having me. Take care of yourself, Rob. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, always a treat. Always a treat. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Mike Sell, uh, <laughs> who just thanked me. Uh, this is just always a treat. I love, you know, like I, I love nerding out about this stuff, even if I wasn't on the show. So uh, uh, let's keep the conversation going. All right. God bless you, brother. Peace. Have a great, have a great one, Todd. Oh, you, sir. oh, shameless plug. Go to the Nerd Circus. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. I wanted nerd, to push that. Yes. Please go, go to Nerd Circus. Yes. I've been signing. It's soft. Been it's comfortable. The, been, yeah. That's, that's my mug. That's my little face yeah. there. We'll that's put a link in the description. And, uh, right now, I've been... Uh, I've been selling signed copies of my cocktail book, uh, my D&D inspired cocktail book uh, called uh, Mystic Libations. I'm yes. rubbing Todd's face right now. Yes. We're, it's like a voodoo doll, though. I, I'm feeling it. I, I have Star Trek Daddy's face on my, on my chest. We're, okay, easy, Brian. We're going to go. We're going to put the link in the description below to Todd's nice. Nerd Circus. Make sure you guys do go check that out. And we'll see you yep. later, Todd. Thank you so much. Later, Peace. Todd. But Bye. you guys don't go anywhere. I almost broke my mic rubbing Todd's face. Oh, we got to kick him out? You got to kick him out, Brian. Okay, I got it. As we kick Todd out, don't go anywhere because we have a couple more things. I want to get some uh, responses here from everybody on the panel about what we just experienced. And then we have a special event we need to tell you guys about, so don't go anywhere. But first, let's go to Rob. Uh, Rob, tell us what you think, of you know, up till Picard Season 3 at this point, including Captain Shaw stuff. Just give us your impression of of how the season's been going with only three more episodes left. Well, I mean, look, it, it, it's for me personally, I have loved this whole season. And, you know, um, I think that it has a lot to say about <laughs> what it means. Here, here's what I love. So I've, I've talked a lot about the fact that I love when you get movies. I don't know if we talked about it here, but The Hustler, the mm. movie The Hustler with with Paul Newman that was made in the 60s. Jackie Gleason. With fast Jackie Gleason, fast Eddie Felsen. There's even a Twilight Zone episode that's kind of like that. Mm. In the mid-80s, they made another movie called The Color of Money that Martin, Martin Scorsese directed, that Paul oh, Newman Bruce. comes back and reprises his role as fast Eddie, Fel fast Eddie Felsen. Both of those books were written by Walter Tevis. Mm. And Tom Cruise was famously in, in um, Color of Money. And I love stories about people that were at one place in their lives and then you catch up with them and they're at another place. 
And as I've said, as much as I like TNG and as much as I spent three years of my life documenting the series and interviewing everybody that was involved, which you can see on the Blu-rays, I I really love what everyone has done that has created this show because life has happened to our characters. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I love about Picard season three is, and I said it earlier, the next generation, as much as I love the characters, they were pretty much written as archetypes. They were, they were not, TV was in a different place. They weren't allowed to grow and change. Picard, after his experience with the Borg and Locutus, you had an episode like Family, but you know, other than one other episode, after his experience in the inner light, he just goes on and becomes Picard again, even though right. he lived 50 plus years on an alien planet. Right. Yep. What I really do love and what I think the great uh, joy of this season for me has been is to see these characters as fully developed people. And I, you know, I go back to episode four where Riker is talking about the death of his son and, and how he fled his own family because the darkness, the grief that consumed him, he couldn't get over it. Well, I've met people like that. I've known friends that have lost children and it's horrible and by the end of that episode the journey that uh Riker was on from the beginning of Picard season three since literally the beginning of Picard season one really to see that kind of character development is why I think this show is so great I mean everyone's throwing at me all these Star Trek lore all this and I'm like mm -hmm. look man at the end of the day Star Trek's about people and mm -hmm. I think the great strength of this season is and liam shaw's character is an example of that we've never seen a character quite like him in star trek history and i think that's the joy that i've had is to see these characters and the journey that they're on even vatic mm. and when you find out her backstory i sympathize and everyone's like well this is the starfleet would never do this but they were facing an extinction-level threat from the Delta Quadrant. How do people that work in a utopian society deal with an existential threat? You know, and and I can live with it. Mm. I can yeah. live with it. Right. <clears throat> what we saw was an extension of that. And a lot of people can say, I mean, people want to talk about Star Trek in terms of absolutes. And that has always been a problem. As a Star Trek novel reader myself, I'm sorry, I'm yammering on. No, no. But no, it's, it's nice to see how the Star Trek universe, in terms of characters and people and understanding, how it's been deepened by this season of Picard. Yeah, I think really well said. And, I, and I, a lot of the disconnect, because there's a lot of people who say, well, I don't get it. You know, what? What? why do you guys say this is so great? And I think part of the problem is, is that for people like us who grew up watching the show and fell in love with the characters in a way that's, you know, it's hard to explain. Now that we're older and we've had these experiences yeah. that these characters are also having and have had, it's like a second, it's it's like, it's in our soul at this point. Yeah. And well, it's hard to explain. I literally grew up with Star Trek in the sense that there was the original series when I first started watching. There was the animated series. When I was 12 years old, Star Trek The Motion Picture came out. And I saw, people forget, the fact that they hired all of the same actors to come back from the uh, essentially a failed TV show. 
mm. and put them in at the time the most expensive movie ever made for me it was like these are the people i love they were my favorite fictional characters and then i got to see them in the motion picture as i was on the cusp of being a teenager and then those movies they went into middle age as i began my young adulthood yeah and then next generation started when i was in college Mm. so as i have grown my whole life star trek grew with me until star trek 2009 Mm. when they went back yeah so for my lifetime from the time 1972 to 2009 Star Trek went forward, grew, evolved, and then it went back and it tried to tell me that my own life, what I knew about these characters, was dumber than I remember. Huh, and is, and yeah, mo- modern Star Trek went back, Discovery, prequel, Strange New Worlds, the Vegas showgirl version mm-hmm. of Star Trek, a prequel. All of the, none of that's real. It hasn't been till Picard season three I felt that what I was watching was an extension of the universe that I've been watching since I was five. And you're right. This is the first time it's extended. So uh, I want to get Matt your take too. But first, I want to make this special announcement to you guys while I have you all here. We have something to announce that's going to be just fantastic. We are actually planning a special private Star Trek Picard season three event that you can attend and is being hosted jointly by us, the Popcast, uh, Matt Kadish here, as well as the rest of the team at the Nerdy at the Salty Nerd Podcast. And it's going to be taking place on Tuesday, April 25th, from noon to 11 p.m. Okay, we're going to be hosting a viewing party at a luxurious Las Vegas dinner theater, and we'll be showing all 10 episodes of Star Trek Picard Season 3 on the big screen. This may be the only time this ever happens. So if you can get there, you don't want to miss out. As of now... Special guests include showrunner Terry Metalis, executive producer, co-executive producer Christopher Monfet, Monfet, and co-producer Matt Akumura, as well as possibly some of the actors from the show, which we haven't sorted out yet. Todd wanted to come. He was here with us earlier, but he already has that commitment at a convention elsewhere later on this month. It's called the 10 Forward Festival. Uh, it's a one-day event and will include some cool swag. Uh, a Q&A from some of the creators as well as more. If you want to attend this event, uh, visit 10forwardfest.com for details and how to get tickets. We really yeah, hope we one, see you all. One zero, the number's 10. <clears throat> oh, it's one zero. Sorry. One zero forwardfest.com. And we'll have that link in the description below for you. But guess who else is going to be there? Robert Meyer Burnett's going to be there, right? Uh, Gary from Nerdrotic's going to be there. We're going to have a whole, it's going to be a wonderful event. So we and hope me, you guys can I'm going to be there. <laughs> well, we're, we, we, you're a we, like me and you are we. So sorry. Yeah, but, but tickets. Tickets are limited. We, we're only selling like a certain amount of tickets. So as soon as they're gone, we have to cut off uh, selling them. So it's going to be a private event at a luxury theater. It's going to be all day long. It's going to be awesome. Like we go to, the, we, uh, we in Vegas go to this theater all the time. The seats are really wonderful. Uh, the screen is great. They're going to roll out the red carpet for us. So uh, we're, we're excited about it. I can't imagine anybody else ever doing this again. I think it's going to be the only time you're ever going to get to see, you know, an entire season in the theater. So I really, and, and, and what day is it? It's April 25th. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday, April 25th. And yes. then the so, next day, the next day is Gary's meetup out here in Las Vegas. So it's also, well, everybody should just be looking out for April 19th. Hmm. 
Yeah, you know, I don't know why. I don't know why. Just, just if you're a Star Trek fan, mm. just keep your radar. You know, if you're looking for something to do. Okay. April 19th. That, sh- that That is the last day. That is the final episode of Star Trek Picard Season 3. That's when it comes out, right? Yeah, well, it comes out that midnight. That midnight. April 19th okay. is, is Wednesday. You know, who knows? I mean, you know. Might happen. But, but, but how many times do you get to sit and watch an entire season of a TV show with the people who made that TV show? That's true. Yeah. So you're going to want to come out for that. And, yeah. Um, On the big screen. Like, that's that's. We're not just watching it in some guy's living room. We're gonna watch it together. Not, not that a, we've done that. Not, not that we've done that. <laughs> well no said, one's, Robert. Well no said. one's saying that. I'm just saying we're gonna watch it in a movie theater on a giant screen. With and the by the Rangers. way, you guys are there. You know what it looks like on because we saw the first two episodes in the yes Chinese theater. at the man. Yes, and that it's was gorgeous. It, you know what's it, funny? It, is, I remember turning to you and being like, "It's so." I was with you. I was right next to you. I'm like, yeah, Robert, you were. this is so much different." than what it was when we first saw it yeah i mean i mean it it it, it it's spectacular wouldn't it, i gotta tell you i mean if you if you ever ever might have had the opportunity you know terry metallis directed the last two episodes mm-hmm. and i'm just saying if there was ever a time to see modern star trek in a movie theater if there was ever mm-hmm. an opportunity presented to you to perhaps see maybe those I don't know. Last two episodes, maybe the last episode. I don't know. If you could do that, you should look out for an opportunity like that. If 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 it were to arise, I love hey you guys, so and, much. And I love th- that you said that. This theater, it, so like it is a luxury theater. So it serves alcohol. <laughs> it serves gourmet food. Uh, they got the really nice reclining seats with the tables attached to them. Um, we're gonna have a table set up so people will be doing live streaming and Q and A in between episodes. It's going to be a really cool little event, and it lasts all day long, 10 yeah. full hours, the entire span of season three of Picard, and uh, it's, it's going to be special. The tickets are basically 75 bucks for the day. Uh, we are uh, limiting them, so if you want to come, if you're coming out for Nerdrotics thing anyway and you want to you know, attend this, uh, definitely check it out. We're, we're going to be loading it up with special guests, uh, Robert Meyer Burnett and Gary, notwithstanding. Uh, we're probably going to have a lot more yeah. people there. Um, and, uh, like, like we said, we're trying to get some of the actors from Picard season three to show up. We're still in negotiations, but, uh, Terry Metalis is 100% confirmed. So we're looking forward to that. It's going to be a good time. Uh, I know we have more super chats to get through. We will not, uh, leave those off before we finish going here, but Matt, just get your take real quick on Picard season three up to this point. I know you're the only one here who hasn't seen the last three episodes. So yeah. curious to hear what you're thinking is going to happen. I'm also the only one here who went into the season like without having seen the whole thing. And so like I was I was still on the fence because I'd been tricked before by season one and two. <laughs> I'm aware uh, you threatened my life. Yes, I, exactly. Um, but I actually I, I, I'm glad Robert's here because I wanted to throw this to you guys because something weird happened. You know, like I'm a convert. I I came to love this season just as you guys did. And I want to support uh hollywood when they get things right because otherwise they're just gonna keep doing things wrong we have to do that and uh well you would think so um but one a weird thing happened uh when they announced the star trek academy series where basically you had this big outcry on social media where people were like it's because of you people supporting star trek picard (laughs) season three oh i got getting more that we're getting more kurtzman and it's your fault and this is what you get 
uh, for supporting Picard season three. And so yeah. I wanted to ask Thank you guys, guys, I want to ask you guys, what do you think of that in particular, where we're supporting good Star Trek and then people get mad at us for supporting good Star Trek? Can I, can I? Yeah, Rob, you get that. Okay. This series was announced in February of 2022 in the trades. Yeah, come on. You can you can go back and you can find that th- this show has been in development for a very long time. And if you if you want to even go back further, uh it was Harv Bennett's idea to do this back post Star Trek 5: The Final Frontier in, in 1989. Man. There has been Starfleet Academy comics, there has been young adult books. This has been something that's been talked about for over 30 years, which is typical for modern Star Trek. Let's just take something that's been done before and do it again. Um, I am. I did a whole live stream about this. I'm not a fan of this, especially in the 31st century, the Discovery future. And I look the idea of doing a show set in the high school or college age is as old as entertainment. Um. At the beginning of my live stream, I showed a clip from The Paper Chase, which not a lot of people will remember. Great movie. But it's a fantastic film, and it was later turned into a TV series. Mm -hmm. And look, I've often said that Friday Night Lights, the TV series, was kind of, I love this show. It's one of my favorite TV shows of all time. It's kind of like uh, Star Trek. If someone made a high school football TV series about, uh, about football, or Star Trek, it would be like it would have the sentiment and the humanity of Friday Night Lights. But, but Robert, what do you think about the, the idea that if you support Picard season three, you're supporting Alex Kurtzman uh, that, that, and, and it, keeping him around longer? First of all, his contract is through 2026, right? And and he rightly or wrongly, he has been working on Star Trek since Star Trek 09. He co-wrote that with Bob Orsi. So the this idea that that we Look, the people that own these things, I mean, if you go above Bob Orsi, or I mean, or, or uh, Alex Kurtzman, it's owned by Paramount CBS or the new CBS Viacom, whatever the new combined company is. They own it. Um, Alex Kurtzman's company, uh, Secret Hideout, has, we are not going to affect change by supporting something that's good. What we can do is we can have Alex Kurtzman go, huh. Look at what a creator like Terry Metalis can do yes. when let off the chain and he gets to create whatever he wants and I support him. What Star Trek needs is new creators. Uh, Alex Kurtzman can control the franchise all he wants. He had nothing to do with Picard season three. While Terry was doing that, he specifically went off and did his own show, uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth. And I have to say, if you haven't seen, I just got the original Nicholas Rogue movie in on uh, 4K uh, Steelbook. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say this, in Alex Kurtzman's defense, uh, the Man Who Fell to Earth series that he did himself, that was his passion project, which is actually pretty good. Chiwetel Ejiofor stars. Uh, it's got some great stuff in it. Because Alex Kurtzman went off to follow his bliss, his passion, Terry was able to come in and create a new season of Star Trek that's his. Yes. I would say what we want, and you know, they have the the showrunner, unfortunately, of Starfleet Academy is the same showrunner that is uh, on Nancy Drew. 
Now, full disclosure, my friend Aaron Cummings mm-hmm. is on the new season of Nancy Drew, and I'm I'm sure that they're very good at doing what they're doing. But again, is Nancy Drew is that show the show that le- leads you to believe that they can make a Starfleet Academy series? I don't know. Yeah, that's but I point. I would say this: what we want are great <clears throat> creators making great Star Trek. The entertainment business works in a way that you're not going to get rid of Alex Kurtzman. His company has a contract through 2026. But remember, he hired Terry and allowed Terry to do what we want is, I have no problem with Alex Kurtzman running the Star Trek franchise if more creators like Terry Metalis, who love and are dedicated to making great Star Trek, are given an opportunity to do so. And... that's 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 my position on that that's how hollywood works i mean the thing is everyone thinks that what if alex kurtzman's gone suddenly star trek's going to get great the problem is the same we need great creators great writers great visionaries people that understand star trek to make star trek i don't care who controls the franchise it doesn't matter who controls the franchise ultimately. If you don't have showrunners who understand it, and this is the thing about Noga Landau, who's the co-showrunner of Starfleet Academy, you know, if she comes in and she says, "Look, you know, I need to embrace what makes Star Trek good. I need to make sure it has Star Trek heart, and I need to make sure that we're following canon." You know, even if it is gauged a younger audience, there's still a chance that it can be something good. Now, the, 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 there's not a good track record, but we'll have to wait and see what she does. Ultimately, we have to remember that um, whatever Alex Kurtzman decides to do, um, even if he does get replaced, there's no guarantee he's replaced with somebody else that loves Star Trek. Oh, I, I also want to point out that Alex Kurtzman, during his entire tenure as like the godfather of Star Trek, he's never reached out to the community like Terry Metalis has. Like if you look at all the bad will Terry came into season three with. Oh, my and God. He, and he actually took the the time and effort to show up on people's YouTube channels to, to respond to people's critical tweets. He didn't have to do any of that. He could have stayed radio silent. He could Mm. have stayed like, you know, removed from everything and just let the world speak for itself. But these are people who care so much about the material that they were willing to reach out to their harshest critics and be like, Hey, we heard you, but we want you to know that like we've been listening and, and here's the proof. And there was no one more, critical about it than robert and gary and yet they're now fully on board the metallis train and it's not just because the show was good it's because the makers of this show took the time and effort to reach out to the community and let them know that they were listening to them can i add but, to that yeah go I, ahead. I have friends that uh that i thought trusted and, and loved me uh, threatened my life when I said <laughs> that it was good. I said it's good. And they're like you, man. No, no. no. What we did house, was man. was we were like, if you're lying, if you're shilling, we will we will hunt you down. Jeez. Oh, uh, but that's even, how much baggage it had, though, right? I couldn't yeah. even convince people that liked me that it was good. <laughs> even today on Twitter, this guy was coming after me, accusing me. He's like, would you say that you were not promised a job? or promised money. And I'm like, first of all, that's not how the entertainment business works. But I mean, I would be the first person to say, even if Terry Metalis came to me tomorrow and offered me a job, I want you to work in the writer's room. Here's what I would say to him. 
that's very flattering. I've never worked in a writer's room. If WGA TV writers, that by the way, I would hand pick if I was given, I would say, Terry, I will put together a writer's room for you, but I can't be in it. I've never done that before. Right. And while I could step up, I wouldn't do that to the people that have been in writer's rooms, some of them for decades. I I could hand pick what I think would be the greatest Star Trek writer's room ever made. But I couldn't run it because I don't know the first thing about doing it. Right. I know who I think are great genre writers, who I think would be great, but I'm not going to presume to get into a room and tell WGA writers who've been working for years and years how to do their jobs. Yeah. You know, I could be I could be a consultant. I could definitely uh, uh, be a story consultant, but no one's promised me a job and people don't understand, you know, that's not how the entertainment business works. And even if somebody promised me that job, I couldn't be in a writer's room. Never done it before. Okay. So yeah. So perfect, Robert. So this is great. So let me tell you what we got out of this whole thing by being people who, who, uh, who, who were able to kind of witness this early and and be a word. How many subscribers do we have on this channel? 4.75 K subscribers, by the way, why don't you subscribe while you're here? That'd be great. Help us out. Thanks. Listen, nothing's blowing us up. Nobody's giving us a bunch of money. We saw, good Star Trek for the first time in a long time. And we fell in love with it. And because of that love and because we want more, we came to you guys and said, listen, this is good. If you love it, please embrace it so that we can get more of it. It was selfish. Actually, we did this selfishly. We want more good Star Trek. You guys have actually made, you guys have actually made enemies over this. Oh my God. I I get hammered every day. People are like, and then they're, they're picking out you. What's really interesting is it's now it's gotten to the point where people are calling me alt-right fascist because I've streamed with people that streamed with people. Yeah. That have right. streamed with people, right, right, right. It's like the, it's like inception of uh, you're a racist, but but it's not it's not just randos. It's not just Star Trek and hate Star Trek. Now it's not just randos on Twitter though. Like people within our own community have like drawn right. a hard line. Right, where they're like, oh, we're not going to associate with the Popcast guys anymore because they like yep. Picard season three. It's yeah. very bizarre to me. It's uh, bizarre. It, I, well, the world we live I, in. I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, so you just, you just won't talk to us now. Huh? Uh, it, oh, it, it, it's uh, for me, like, I don't think that I have to explain. To, I guess I do because I don't <laughs> expect people to know my CV or anything. But it's been really interesting to me. I'm like, this is actually it's good television. You know, it's it's good television about people that have aged, people that have changed. If you take the Star Trek out of it. And, and think of it like the old Western, the professionals, or you think of it like the color of money of Star Trek. When I've, when I've said that to people, it's like the color of money of Star Trek. Well, unfortunately, they haven't seen the color of money. And the people that did didn't know that there was a movie called The Hustler in the 60s where, where Paul Newman played the same character. So it's a lot of the people, everyone's like nitpicking about, again, while this show was going on, people keep talking about Picard being a robot or what. Look, I get it. I hated all that too. I hated all the synth stuff. It was terrible. It was terrible science fiction and terrible Star Trek. But here's the thing. Here's how I justify it. Since the first season of the original series, there have always been people delving into creating long-lasting Android robotic repositories for human consciousness. And whether we saw it on camera 
or we can extrapolate that within the 23rd, 24th, and 25th centuries, there are many scientists around the universe that have delved into this research because everybody wants to be immortal. You know, one of the stupidest things ever in the history of Star Trek is someone said, we made you a, an android body that will only, we don't know how long it's going to last, but it exactly duplicates you. For me, looking back at the, the three seasons of Star Trek, you know what I would have done if I was doing Star Trek season one? I would have reincarnated Picard in the body of Ed Spilliers. Mm, and I right. would have said, you are now Jean-Luc Picard and the show Star Trek Picard can go on with I actually Ed Spilliers. I actually thought they were going to recast him as Tom Hardy and have Tom Hardy uh, take over the mantle of Picard going yeah. forward. Like, I mean, like that would have been the, mo the most logical thing to do. They, they could have done that. And it, it's it's funny to me because, by the way, for those of you who think I'm spilling the beans, this is not what happens at the end of Picard season three. Right. Ed Spilliers is oh. Jack Crusher. He is. But but <laughs> if if I had done a show and, and Patrick Stewart came back for one season, I would have had an awesome actor ready to go, reincarnated him in and explained that this positronic body, whatever it is, you know, it is. I uh, Look, replicants in the Blade Runner universe are constructed human beings. I only do eyes, but they're still organic eyes. Right. If somebody had thought about it and made them more like replicants, that these are grown and constructed, they are human bodies. They're they're, but they're not. Everyone's caught like positronics a brain, but it's a positronic body. What is it all? I mean, I get it. I understand. I mean, you can go yeah, back to the first right. season of TOS, episode seven. What are little girls made of? And Kirk was basically put into an Android body. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it happened guys. I mean, it's yeah. dumb what happened to Picard, but, but it's not but out you, of the realm of the universe. You, you guys know what's crazy about the first two seasons of Picard. So first season, you had a Pulitzer prize winning novelist running the show. Second season, you had a freaking Oscar winning mm -hmm. uh, screenwriter uh, running the show. Now, both of those guys proved that they were complete morons and totally not fit for the job. But then you have a former PA or writer's assistant come on uh, for season three and he freaking knocks it out of the park. And it's like, okay, you need to see, you know, who's deserving of praise and reward that and rightly shame the people who messed up, you know? And I just think that it's so weird that like, we're in a position here where there are people out there who are, who praised seasons one and two of Picard and then they're hating on us for liking season three of Picard. Uh, we, we at the Solution Network podcast recently ran into an issue where we released a bad review of John Wick 4. And now we've got people who love John Wick 4 uh, basically claiming our videos, saying that they're inappropriate and YouTube's flagging them. And it's all because we had a different opinion on a movie. But isn't that what the world is all about right now, guys? I mean, isn't that if you're not with me, you're against me, right? Can't we all just figure out how to work together and have an opinion and then go have a beer together? How about that? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's funny. Bringing up, though, the fact that there are people on both sides. You have the Never Trekkers and the people that like love the new, the new uh, Star Trek, right? And both both those camps are mad at us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, what you left with is the people who want good Star Trek, which is, that's who we, that's who our audience is for anyways. But, you know, listen, uh, Brian, I know we got some more uh, super chats. I want to make sure we get to, I don't want to miss anybody. Um, so if we can just grab some of those real quick and yep. then we can talk more. Sure, man. Let's do that. All right. Um, 
there's actually a bunch of here. So let me, let me start at the top. Uh, okay. So uh, some of the, some of the super chats I didn't read because they weren't specifically for uh, uh, Todd. But question okay. of Trek asked is Star Trek Picard giving away free beer. <laughs> I wish <laughs> that would be great. That's like my dream. That'd be Star nice. Trek IPA. Mm, we, yeah, we also had a super chat from Dale Bentley. No message, just Dar99. Thank you, Dale. Thank you, Dale. Appreciate, Appreciate that. that. And thank you for the previous one. Yep. And Dan Candy, spoiler alert, Laura sings I'll Take You Home Again in Kathleen to the Helpless Titan crew in episode eight. <laughs> I would pay good money for that. I'll <laughs> take you home again, <laughs> Kathleen. Just so you guys know, that's not a real spoiler. Don't, don't get mad. No, uh, it's from the naked, naked time. We're not going to be any presidential Camacho, <laughs> Mountain Dew, Williams, Herbert the Third. Wait, well, there's no message because that is how El Presidential Camacho do. He don't need a message. He just drops the twenty bucks and walks away. Well, and that's what Matt's talking about. Like the world, if idiocracy is a documentary for the future, if we don't watch out what we're doing. So, I love, I love this super chatter. He comes in like every week and just drops money and leaves with that awesome name, <laughs> El Presidential. Camacho. God bless you, El Presidente. El Presidente. Yep. Uh, Mark Croson, Rob, and I can partner up and write a script called The Squatchers. <laughs> Todd will have PTSD, but is hunting them after his family vanishes from one mystery. <laughs> hey, man, I'm a huge, uh, I, growing up in Seattle, you know, the Pacific Northwest, uh, I'm all about the Sasquatches. Hey, gentlemen, I have been informed by my lady that we have had a puppy breakout. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This is not Uh-oh. a euphemism. We have eight puppies. No one, uh, uh, while I've been on here, she was gone, and and somehow the puppies have escaped. So All I right. need to go and find, get them, gather these eight monsters. Uh, gather the, gather the, the herd. Okay. Well, God bless you. Yeah. Go find those little uh, beasts. And uh, if you want to pop back in, we might be here a few minutes, but oh, if, if not, we'll see you later. No, I'll, you know what? I'll tell you what then. How about this? I'm going to, I'll stop my cam and mute. And if I come back and get these puppies corralled, I'll come back. <laughs> okay. Oh, sounds yeah, great, brother. All Thank right. You. Sounds good. <laughs> I, I think I think we got um the fact that we broke news on Todd Stashwick that we found out something I don't he probably hasn't told anybody else that he's a big Sasquatch fan. I thought that was great because I tell you I watch those videos and you know, the, I, I've been obsessed it, with Bigfoot since I was in third grade. Right, but the evidence is like freaking compelling when you watch some of these videos. You know, you're like, oh my god, is, is it real? You know, anyways, go ahead. All right. Look, guys, we could talk. We could sit here and talk about Sasquatch all day. Okay, I, I kind of want to. But... That's another stream coming up. Uh, Shaw versus the Borg. My next season pitch. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be a good one. It really would be. Kenneth the Roke asked, "Anyone see the Disney shareholders meeting? It was a riot and a bloodbath." No, I did oh, not see that. I will go back and look at that though because I do watch shareholders meetings since I have a ridiculous amount of money in Disney, and I'm starting to regret that. But thank you so much, Kenneth. Appreciate yeah. you. I'm 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 very poor, so I've now lost all. I've now dumped most of my my investments except for Disney, and just watching literally like eighty percent of my portfolio just crumble before my eyes constantly is very frustrating. Well, Disney's in trouble. They just, I mean, look at <laughs> Moana came out just a few years ago. They're already now planning a live action Moana. I mean, how much? They're they're scrambling like okay wait our Marvel uh, stuff I'm, 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 I'm wondering if their internals are telling them that Little Mermaid's going to be a wash, right? It's going to so be they, a wash. Oh yeah. So think about this. They what they should have done is after Little Mermaid, 
Then they announced Moana because I get it. You're trying to do Moana while Dwayne Johnson's still, you know, in his fifties. I understand that Dwayne Johnson is per the rock is perfect for the character he voiced. So you need to get that in the can, but you don't want to announce it now. You want to announce it after the little mermaid, Yeah, but But the little mermaid is going to be garbage. And they know that the weird thing is Disney plus is like the second biggest streamer in the world though. So like you'd think that like they're doing better than they are, but it just seems like they keep ruining their own f- franchises and IP. I mean, it, it really is mind boggling, like how poorly run everything is right now over at Disney. Someone really did mention to me the other day, like maybe they're the second highest streamer in the world or whatever, but they also have an insane overhead with their parks and they're not, they're losing money. So um, I think, yeah, there's, there's a lot to it. We can talk about Disney all day. Yeah, Katie from 999. Thank you, Katie. Appreciate your breakdowns of the episodes after being disheartened with season one and two. I'm totally on board for season three. Great attention to the character. Shaw's the best character in New Trek. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, awesome. if we don't Thank get like a, a show with Shaw at the helm of a ship, we riot. I mean, like, there's no reason they, they shouldn't do this, like, right now. Yeah, yeah, we, no ri- we should riot if if Star Trek Legacy doesn't happen. Like if we don't get new Star Trek in the 25th century moving forward, I mean, I, we really should just riot anyways. And I'm saying <laughs> I can't wait to come back here with you guys in three weeks and talk. In three weeks, it's all going to make so much more sense. Well, and you well guys wouldn't are- it wouldn't it be great if like so like the day that the uh, pr- that the finale airs, mm. Paramount comes out and says like, okay, we're giving you Star Trek Legacy. With Terry Metalis and Todd yeah. Stashwick, yeah. like, like how amazing would that be? Oh yeah, the uh, the our little portion of the internet would just implode. That'd be right. huge. Yeah. Um. Okay. So from Dustin Cole. See, Dustin, I didn't miss you, man. I didn't miss you. Question for the group: With streaming and normal TV struggling financially, and younger people not watching TV, what does the future of TV a TV series look like? Oh, you're seeing Ooh. it, which is the problem. I'm glad that this came out after Todd was gone because that would have been an uncomfortable one for him to look at. Um, because there's some there is some truths here, you know. Um, I wasn't to... joking about scripts being written by Chat GTP. I don't I, think like, that's totally yeah. going to happen, especially like. So like it's going to start off with children's programming. You're going to have Mm. producers who aren't going to pay writers to write episodes. And eventually it's going to get to the higher ups where they're like, oh, we could do scripted series with just like AI. Right. It's going to be ridiculous. Well, I don't I hope that they don't do a lot of that stuff. It's really that would be stupid because people, you know, the imagination of our brains is what is what brings good stuff to life. But here's what I think happens with kids right now. It's all TikTok and YouTube shorts and all that stuff. And they spend hours and hours and hours doing it. But at some point, as they grow up a little bit, they become more interested. So, for example, my teenagers, uh, they do like watching, you know, um, a lot of these younger shows. Like they want to watch some Netflix and they want to watch some of this stuff. So I think eventually they grow out of it. I don't think TV is going anywhere. I don't think the medium for entertainment, for for watching something and being invested into a show isn't going to end. Um, but streaming right now, we're, we're having a hiccup in the streaming. They spent all this money, right, creating all these shows and putting these streaming networks up. Now, all of the subscriptions have flattened out. There's no new subscribers and every business needs to grow. So, yeah, that's a problem. And we're going to start seeing actually probably a little bit more of an implosion with some of the streaming services. You're going to see people probably coming together and eventually we're going to end up with probably three or four streamers all just like your cable TV used to be with the top networks. I think they're also going to drastically cut back on certain types of content, especially like more expensive types. Mm. So 
we'll, well that's what happened and, and and paying more <laughs> that's what happened in the early 2000s right so we went away from making content we went straight to uh you know uh you know what was it tv the the bachelor and like you know reality uh, tv yeah. And, yeah reality tv became big because it was so cheap to make so expect more of that 100% when when hollywood needs to save money they start making reality tv so i think matt you were right when you said that earlier no, that happens a lot. Like, you know, but to be fair, uh, last last uh, two cycles ago, I mean, that, I guess that's not fair. But two cycles ago, we got Survivor out of it. And that was a pretty good run for almost 15 years. So there sure. is some good. There is some good uh, reality TV. It's just like I mean, 90% of it's horrible. So, yeah, it's, it's there's like there's some good, but the the creative process is gone. Reality TV doesn't allow for creativity and, you know, for for, you know, hope and for like, you know, trying to look at the future and, you know, what happened when uh, reality TV came around, science fiction disappeared. So we don't want that to happen. Well, yeah. And so, yeah. And Shane and I were talking about like the next, so the TV has these cycles where it goes from like genre to genre to genre, trying to figure out what people want at the time. There is a chance that the next genre could be science fiction. But there's also a chance the next genre is reality TV. So, <laughs> well, we, it's been superheroes for 15 years. So hopefully, yeah. science fiction's next. Yeah, the the natural progression is from superheroes into sci-fi. But hopefully, we got a super chat from Jerry Bright Brace, hoping for Captain Shaw and Star Trek Titan with Admiral Admiral Jellico, an Admiral Jellico cameo in the pilot like Bones and TNG. That would be cool. That would be that fantastic. Would be I was I was surprised by uh, by uh, Todd's answer to my. My little question about Jellico being his mentor. Uh, oh, were you? You did. I, I mean, he he was right. It is a bit on the nose, but still, I'm like, that'd still be cool. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's why it is cool is because it is on the nose. Yeah. And I think Jerry makes a good point here. Like, it's very rare for Star Trek to just pull in a character where you're like, my God, I just need to see more of this character. I mean, they did it with Pike uh for discovery season two and you're like okay i need we need to see more of that actor playing that role right not just anybody to play pike we need we need that guy anson mount to do it now we don't need just another captain shaw we need todd stashwick's captain shaw in whatever new series and hell i would love a star trek titan series do that yeah um okay uh i'm sorry we, i missed this russ i think uh, I did. I missed this when Todd was here. Todd, you are my favorite favorite new captain in the Star Trek universe. Thank you for keeping the fans in mind. You need your own Trek show. R&B, thank you for convincing me to give this season a chance. Perfect timing, Rob. Wait, good timing. Puppy. Well, there was a puppy that was missing. What? And yes, it was missing. And, and the puppy was sacked out on a big pillow next to my nightstand. <laughs> and uh, it had peed a number of places, hadn't explored the world. <laughs> and we have three big dogs. I was afraid that the dogs would like play with it. You know, Tallulah's mm. the mom takes care. And I'm like, why'd you let your, but then when I found the puppy, I didn't take a picture. I was too stressed, totally <laughs> sacked out asleep on this big furry pillow. So awesome puppy, puppy, uh, puppy disaster. Averted. Puppy mayhem. Woo, nice. It is, mayhem. it is the puppers. We have eight puppies. They're uh, four amazing. and a half weeks old. It's well, good crazy. timing, Rob, because Russman said, R&B, thank you for convincing me to give this season a chance. Well, you know, you know what's really funny? You guys, I think we'll all feel the same way. Um, I don't think we're twisting anyone's arm. 
we're just sharing our enthusiasms, as De Niro said in The Untouchables, our enthusiasms for something that we think is good. And isn't that yeah. what we all want? Just something that's good? It's all we want. Yeah. And, and if, you know, it's funny, you can't be tribal about good stories. Good stories are self-evident. And, and if you want to take up a side and say, well, this is terrible, and then you're, all you're going to do is try and poke holes in it, I would say that the great strength of Star Trek Picard Season 3 is its humanity mm-hmm. and the way that it's dealt with our characters. You know, if you want to if you want to talk about how Starfleet or Section 31, a utopian civilization would not experiment on the changelings. Oh, really? Well, billions of potential billions of people died during the Dominion War. A utopian, was, yeah. a utopian civilization has to do something. Right. You know, they weren't true. expecting the Dominion to come en masse. They didn't understand that the, the, the changelings uh, decided to get rid of all solids. They had no idea. And, and what happens when a utopian civilization has to deal with an extinction level event? You get space is, flowers. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and, and I, but I think that I think that that's what's what I find really interesting about Picard season three is the radicalization of this small group of of changelings. We see that happen all the time on this planet. You know, Star yeah. Trek's always worked allegorically. And if you think about the fact that how many times in the middle east has american foreign policy taken us into areas and we've messed shit up we've gone into places we tell people that have who have never had democracy well here's democracy isn't this great well they don't know what you're talking about Mm. and you're trying to impose your your uh a view on someone Mm. else and and people that have different belief systems different ways of life and when you show up and tell them oh isn't this great and they don't know why it's great, and they don't know why you're telling them their lifestyle is bad. Mm. You know, we've seen in our world the radicalization of people only in the last hundred years, right? You right. know, and and that's what this changeling thread is all about. I think they did a great job. And when people are talking about, well, you know, the, this is not what Roddenberry's utopian civilization was about. No, the utopian civilization hasn't changed. Right. But drastic measures happen when there's drastic events happening. How many starships do we see blown up right. in Deep Space Nine? How many hundreds, if not, we talk about 11,000 people died at Wolf 359. How many, how many more tens of thousands of people died during the Dominion War? So many. Right. You know, the, look, at, look at an episode like The Sacrifice of Angels. Let's stop and let's, let's calculate, because somebody can do this on this class of ship. Uh, there's this many star mm-hmm. the people. How many people died in that one battle? Well, and you can't blame Picard season three for this anyways, because the Dominion War happened on DS9. guys. Right. So if you're complaining about the fact that Section 31 like tortured these changelings, well, guess what? Section 31 created the virus to destroy the Great Link. So come on, guys. It's not which- Picard season three's fault. Okay. Which, yeah. by the way, let's go back to the fifth season of TNG and the episode I Borg when Picard yes. was grappling with the fact that we can we can we can literally exterminate the Borg. We can destroy them here and now. We can send Hugh back to the collective, infect them with some nanite probe or whatever it was they were going to do, and wipe them all out. Yeah. But as we saw, it's like these are people, man. Well, and you he know, had empathy for Vatic. So when he said he's like, we didn't know. 
Like you could see that's the Picard we love. The same Picard that didn't destroy the board, even though God, we kind of wish he would have at, at some point, also had empathy for Vatic in that moment, who was trying to take his son and to kill them all. So guys, it's the same Picard. If you're not seeing it, then you need to take off the blinders and ask yourself, why do you hate Picard season three? If it's because you're supposed to hate everything that's being created right now, you need to really ask yourself a question. And here, what about the mystery box thing? I got to ask you guys this question. Mystery box has been like the, 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 the bludgeon over the head of Star Trek Picard season three. They're using it as a, as a dog whistle. I want to know Robert and Matt and Brian, what you guys think about the fact that a mystery box is only bad uh, when like JJ Abrams lost, if they don't answer all the questions by the end. I mean, I haven't seen any mystery boxes in Star Trek Picard season three. Me neither. Uh, I mean, I I think people don't understand what a mystery box is. They're, they're, they have a fundamental kind kind of like the same thing with plot holes. Everyone thinks that they know what a plot hole is and they're actually mistaken. Um, mystery boxes. Or retcon. People always use retcon incorrectly. I mean, mystery boxes basically they a mystery box is a question that's never answered, right? It's right. something that's meant to hook people into an idea, a concept, a question, a mystery that is never solved so that people continually you know, kind of talk about it and theorize about it and stuff like that. But JJ's major flaw with the mystery box thing is that people want resolution. And if you never give it to them, they feel cheated and therefore they will reject you and they will attack you. I haven't seen any of that from Picard season three. No, that's very well stated. And, you know, one of the things is like with Lost, they really didn't know where they were going. Hmm. Whereas Picard season three, they knew where they were going the whole time. They now they've constructed a story, and I would say this: Do they touch on a lot of themes that other parts of Star Trek have touched on? Oh, absolutely! But that's because humanity has the same recurring themes happening all the time, you know. And and I have to say, I'm a, I'm a person that I loved. First of all, I thought she did a great job when Gates when Crusher explains my parents were took for me taken for me my husband was taken for me my son was taken for me by the the very stars that you worship yeah and now i'm gonna have another and even people that 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 say things like well weren't they little a little too old to conceive a child i'm like this is the 25th century the kind of medicine that would be available you know of course they could conceive charlie well, chaplin what conceived when he was People, people aren't that aren't old, aren't too old to conceive a child now with with our technology. Well, exactly, exactly, and you know that's that's one of the things that 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 I think that a lot of the great failings of modern Star Trek is they have not extrapolated anymore about our what would humanity look like a thousand years hence with the technology available to us right now. Let's extrapolate on where we are going to go with biotech, with medical technology, with whatever. We would be a very different. We probably would be living 500 years uh, with nanotech probes repairing our our cells from the time that we're born. If you if you felt that you were born in the wrong body and we would have technology that could say, you know what, you had too much estrogen or you were exposed. So, yes, that is correct. Your brain was literally born in the wrong body. So now we have technology that would instantaneously. But but let's just talk about Jack Crusher for a second. Okay, yeah. so like we've seen that there's something going on with him. We've seen that he has like these superpowers where he can fight. He's got he can read people's thoughts. Mm. There's all there's all this stuff going on with him, 
And people are saying like, oh, that's a mystery box. It's like, it's only a mystery box if by the end of the season, we don't get an explanation oh, for why he's able to 100%. do all that stuff. And now, and now, up until that point, it's just a mystery, right? It, it, right. It's, a slow, it's a slow reveal. It's a, it's a plot thread. Now, it, mystery boxes are basically plot threads that have no payoff. They, they have no resolution and they just keep going indefinitely. That's what a mystery box is. And that's yes. what J.J. Abrams defines it as. And that's one of the, the ter most terrible ideas that was ever introduced into narrative storytelling, in my opinion. Now, I completely agree. When you actually have a resolution, you just haven't gotten to that resolution yet. That's just that's just what we call a mystery. It's called <laughs> storytelling, guys. Yeah, it's well, called storytelling. And also, <laughs> there are going to be people. Let's 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 add to this what a retcon is. Mm. So, here's the thing. A retcon is something that changes established facts, facts that have been established in a story and changes them. That's yeah, like a having holo holograms on the original Enterprise, right? Sure. Well, uh, but, okay. Yes. Yes. But, but what I would say is if you, if you have what you thought was true, you know, something that's true, um, that doesn't mean you can add additional information to it. And then change what it is that you believe. You mean so, like sister. Well, no, no, because because I think that 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 see that's something else. You you can't you have it. It has to be plausible. And I I would say that that having the the impact that um, that Burnham had on Spock's life that was a retcon. Yes, because because there was nothing indicated, but I would I would say this. Hmm. Without how would I? I would say that there is information that we as Star Trek fans and the people in the show itself were unaware of, because they did not necessarily know that something was plausible or something they because they weren't looking or they didn't know or whatever and if you can caress that into the story and make it believable within the context of the story i would say that's just additional information that's that's uncovering an archaeological find that gives you a link between lucy and homo habilis and whatever and the old of a gorge you know dr leaky and all that we just have missing information that isn't a retcon. Michael Burnham is a retcon because, yes. because Michael Burnham is a retcon that you it's indefensible, I think, because what and then what you've done even worse is that you say that that character of Michael Burnham then becomes so important to an already established character that that character wouldn't be able to be the person they are without Michael Burnham's influence. That's right. A, that's a terrible. Not only is it a retcon. It's a it, it it really flies in the face of all the care all the writers and all the creators, including the Leonard Nimoy who played that character up right. to that point, and and to me that that goes beyond. But if if you don't know something, and yet, and I think one of the things I really enjoy about Star Trek: Picard season three, is what you might think is a mystery box has been very well thought through. And you know that's all I'm going to say. You know what's well the worst said. mystery box of modern Trek right now? What freaking timeline are we in? 
like what timeline are all these new shows be are they in the kelvin timeline are they in the original timeline well i think they they think they're in the original timeline i mean but but what what i found what i look here what here's what's so frustrating if you look at modern star if you look at star trek the original series did the brilliant thing of using the original pilot the cage in the two-part episode the menagerie so you got to see the rejected pilot how the sets were different the costumes were different people were different but it was 11 years in previous so they immediately establish a canonical timeline within the star trek universe and then in Star Trek, the motion picture, it takes place five years after the end of the original series. So if you if you look at the original series, which began in 66 and Star Trek, the motion picture, which came out in 79, you find out that the Star Trek we know had at least 11 years of previous history that was detailed for us in the menagerie. Yes. We saw the changes on the bridge, maybe a different bridge module. You know, who knows? We saw different uniforms. And Spock, okay. They've 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 given you Michael Burnham one production thing. They hadn't defined who Spock was yet. He smiles, and everybody fixates on that and says, Well, we have to figure out why that is. Spock mm-hmm. hadn't come into his own. Let's make it a whole because that's a re- ridiculous, but whatever. Let's make it a whole thing, all right? So yeah, let's let's turn it into let's take a, a little tiny production thing. And by the way. I would say that's it's stupid because Vulcans do have emotions. They just control them. There's an there's this thought that Vulcans don't have emotions. No, within the context of Star Trek, you can see that the Romulans are an offshoot. The Vulcan Vulcans were the most passionate people in the universe until the teachings of where uh, Surak came along and said, "Look, man, we're gonna our passions are gonna be our undoing. Our entire civilization is gonna fall. We're all gonna die." Unless you apply logic and the Romulans, the people that became the Romulans, they're like, we're out of here. So they take off. The Vulcans use the teachings of Serac, revolutionize their culture, saving them from their own passions. They become the people that we we are. Now, I would say if I was a Star Trek writer, I would say that when Spock touches those plants in in the menagerie, not Mm -hmm. the cage, but he, for a moment, he forgets himself, and he finds there's delight there from a scientific aspect, from, wow, I've been hearing this sound since I beamed onto this planet, and these plants, I had no idea, these native plants caused this sound with my hearing I hear everywhere. So when he's able to stop them, he forgets himself for a moment. He actually, his emotions, like, he actually smiles. And is that so bad? You know, he smiles because he takes delight in the native plants, and for a moment, you know, he lets his guard down because he's the first Vulcan in Starfleet. And but Robert, Vulcans do that. Robert, do you think that Picard season three takes place in the same universe where the burn happens? No, because that's in the future. That <laughs> hasn't happened future. yet. Because, <laughs> because that yet. was that. First of all, that might be the single dumbest thing <clears throat> that we've ever seen in Star Trek. There's one, this, there's one more dumber. Detached nasals. No, no, oh, that's, even that's oh, not as dumb as the burn. Uh, uh, the burn. I mean, and and when you find out why the burn happens, it's it's this is why you need people that have read at least one hard science fiction novel in their mm-hmm. lives. Read some Frank Herbert. Read some Verna Vinge. Read some 
Isaac uh, Asimov. D- Isaac Asimov. Read some Arthur yeah. C. Clarke. Read some Hal Clement. Read but, uh, Heinlein. But but, read- but here here's the thing: the burn doesn't happen in the future, right? It, it's happened in the past and in, in the Discovery timeline. So everything is well. It's happened. Stone, it's happened right? further than the 25th century, right? Because the burn yeah, I, happens. But, now, but I, it, I, is this the same timeline? Is what I'm asking, though. Well, no. here here's okay, but here's so there's only so there's. There was only one Star Trek timeline. The 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 Star Trek 09 movies happen in an alternate timeline that's created when the Narada goes through. There's a, the time incursion. The Narada goes through, destroys the Kelvin, and that moment creates a new timeline. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so I don't believe that Discovery, and I don't believe what we're watching uh, takes place in that timeline and i think that what's happened is they've muddled i mean we'd have to say that i mean if i made a new star trek show i would just get rid of i would say that everything you've watched is not true because the visual aesthetic is all wrong well can i can i can i this is my head canon they in the discovery in this in the show discovery when they went to the future they went to the future from a time that knew what the discovery was, right? Because even in their own show, the Federation in the future yeah. knows what who who Michael Burnham and the discovery is. Except for right afterwards, Starfleet uh, makes all that confidential, and no one outside of Spock and like two people know know anything about it. So the universe we're in right now is the one. Where no one knows anything about Discovery, but the universe that Discovery is in, the one with the one they came from, they're in a branch future timeline where they do know about them, which completely changes the timeline. I, I would just like some clarification. I can I'll give you like someone to come out and, and definitively say what timeline we're so in. So here I'll I'll definitively give you an answer. It definitively, right now, it's in the in the only timeline that we have. But in the future, that can be changed at any point by somebody who creates a Star Trek series and decides to knock that off and to put it on an alternate timeline. It could still be changed if necessary. But as of right now, right, Rob, would you agree it's at least we can't assume it's an alternate time frame because no one has indicated that, right? Right. I mean, canonically, correct. But I would also say this. If you look at the very first Discovery promo that they made with the Discovery launching out of that asteroid mm-hmm. refit whatever Whoa, that, that discovery is different than the discovery that's in the show hmm, they change true. the they change the warp nacelles they change the design so here's what's really here's, here's what's really interesting so the design of the discovery is based on the enterprise redesign that was done under ken adam uh, when they were going to make Star Trek Planet of the Titans in the mid-70s. This was before Phase 2 and before the motion picture. So they were going, and they were they were in active development of a movie. So they hired the great Ken Adam, the great production designer who worked on the James Bond movies. They hired Ken Adam as the production designer, and he hired Ralph McQuarrie as his production illustrator. And they had designed what what Brian Fuller used as the basis of the discovery. So you can see these, they made study models of this ship. There's all kinds of artwork. If you look in the book, the artist star Trek that the Reeve Stevens wrote, 
you can see all these things and and that initial design is very reminiscent of what the um enterprise d turned out to be with the smaller low slung warp nacelles Mm -hmm. so there it was so so and then and then if you look at the first trailer the teaser for discovery it had different warp nacelles than we finally got so when brian fuller was dismissed and nicholas meyer was dismissed they redesigned things again Mm. so so what's frustrating about modern star trek is starting with star trek 09 no one cared anymore. I mean, even in the Berman era of Trek, Mike Akuda, his first job was on Star Trek Four, yeah. the Voyage Home, in '86, and then he went to Next Generation. So you had people that were working on Star Trek that knew what they were doing all the way. The Berman era was 25 seasons of Trek in 18 years, from '87 to 2005, and there was a the art department was consistent. Mm. There was a there was a a real uh, it wasn't always perfect, but there was a real effort to make sure that this future history mm. had consistency in it. And yes, there was lots of inconsistencies in the writing, but for the most part. But in yeah. Star Trek 09, that was all thrown out the window. Mike Akuda was back for Picard's season as well. Yeah, yeah. They, they came back. They brought him back. Yeah. But it's really frustrating that they just decided, you know, they wanted to make it their own. And it's been fr- because the scale of the Enterprise in Star Trek 09 is like it's three, four, five times the size of the original Enterprise. It's bigger than a galaxy class. Right. It's massive. Starship. It's absolutely massive. It, it, none of it makes any sense. And and there was no effort to try and make it consistent with anything that had come before. Mm-hmm. And that's sad because. The con- as a fan, anyone who loves Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or, or Marvel Comics or whatever, it's that lore and that consistency that makes these fictional universes worth involving. Like, your favorite fictional universe has colonized your brain. It's colonized your imagination. And whether you love Wheel of Time, take your pick. James Bond, these things colonize your imagination. And I would ask this question. And this seems a little weird and esoteric. Do the creators whose work have colonized your brain, do they owe you anything? Mm. And if a corporation buys the IP that has colonized your brain and has not done a good enough job to be a custodian of that IP and they wreck that IP through negligence or misunderstanding and it makes you upset... Do they owe you anything? Damn right they do, Rob. They owe I, rent. I owe rent on my brain. I, I, but I would say they expect your money. Right, right, they right. No, you're right. You come back. Well, they didn't create the IP that they now own. Right. That is like the Star Trek IP has colonized my brain when I was five years old. So it's been like toxoplasmosis or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's been in my brain for fifty years. Yeah. And do they owe me? I certainly been paying them enough money. This place is filled with thousands and thousands of dollars. I think George R.R. R. Martin owes us an ending. But he's only one man. Yeah. You know, hey guys, and, and sorry, yeah. I, 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 we got some super chats here and I'm sure they'll bring up more. Um, we missed this earlier. I'm sorry, Ensign Ricky. Chicago born trekker here. Shaw is from Chicago and you are as well. Where in Chicago did you grow up? Well, he's not here to answer, but I can tell you where. Uh, according to Google, the suburbs right outside the city. 
whatever that means to you. <laughs> I've never been to Chicago. Actually, no, I was in Chicago once in the airport. And I had some pizza and then got right back on the plane. So what about the, where Leroy Brown comes from? On the south side of Chicago, in the baddest part of town. Bad, bad. Leroy Brown. from Buo, Buo, Buo Magic. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Buo? Buo? <laughs> Sup, Deacon? Sup, Buo? <laughs> up deacon i gotta tell you uh he, that's, that's respectable of course, super chat yeah that's a great super chat uh yeah. of course deacon of course from 12 monkeys you know we didn't get a chance to talk to todd about his entire career the guy you know i said it the earlier i said 134 credits he has i mean that's a lot i felt really dumb when i asked him the shatner question he was like i was on a tv show with shatner it was shit my dad says i yeah, remember shit. watching oh, that God. show mm-hmm. it was a great show i love shatner uh, but hey, I, I was like, oh, I can't believe I he was also on uh, Boston uh, legal with him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, he's he been on Star Trek before. He's been on Star yeah, Trek. That, yeah. He, and he played, well, a Romulan and a Kling uh, mm-hmm. and a Vulcan in the same episode. Hey, uh, Rob, is Roe Laren still alive from Foxhound for mm-hmm. Thank you, Foxhound. What, what can we Look, say? Terry's told me that she's dead. I'm like, what if a Klingon bird of prey was sitting right there? You know, what intelligence, if, you know, and what and, if there's like a single positronic molecule in space. Oh, yeah. Oh I, I heard yeah. that she's dead like you did. But I also heard that if they wanted to bring her back, they left just enough time no, for her, her, her transport her to have happened. DNA yep. was in that earring that she gave. Uh, no, I think I think all that right, she, all had, right, she had Klingon right. operatives, man. <laughs> that, I mean, journey's war- end, Walter Koenig is from Chicago. That's true. Awesome. Of course, check off uh, if you guys don't know who he is. Check off from the original series. He's a cool yeah. guy. He actually bought my book. So oh, did yeah. he really? Yeah, he did. I'll be right that's, back that's again. Cool. Okay. I uh I met him at uh, STLV and uh he told me to sit down. <laughs> uh did he actually, say like this? Sit down. Yeah, we were we were uh, we're in that great hall. And so if you've ever been to STLV, there's this like big space where on the stage, a lot of the Star Trek people are talking or whatever, or are playing music or whatever they're doing. People come in and go out, right? And I was in there sitting down and I'm filming. I'm not even paying attention to what people are saying. I'm just filming because we were trying to make a video. So I'm like filming people's reactions and I'm barely paying attention. And then I'm done. I'm done filming. And I'm not, I'm not there to really partake as a fan. I'm really there to gather data for all of you so i'm I, I get up and i'm leaving to go out and he goes so sit down and i heard that i'm like shit i sat down i'm like <laughs> and i realized that he was getting really political and he said that if you uh if you love star trek and you love donald trump you can leave now and oh. i would just happen wow. to have been leaving at that time oh my god <laughs> And I'm halfway out. It look he, like yelled, you were leaving. he looked at me. Like, it looked like I was like challenging him or something. <laughs> but you weren't even paying attention. I wasn't even paying attention. So we I all sat know down, how you are. So it's all good. And then he continued on. Like he had like a victory because he made me sit down. Look, guys, I didn't even know he was. I, later on, I went back to the hotel and I'm looking at the footage. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I get it now. You need so, to be present, sir. You need to be present. So he yelled at me to sit down, and then he didn't even address me afterwards. Seeming nice. Uh, Brian, did have you ever been at the Star Trek convention when Jason Isaac is on stage? 
That dude gets no. super. You, you know what's crazy is like I love Jason Isaac as an actor. Like when he's up on stage talking about like Star Trek and acting stuff, he's fantastic. But like he goes super political, like from zero to sixty, real quick. And he's kind yeah. of a Trek enemy, you know, like a Trek fan enemy for like yeah. legacy Trek fans after the crap he said. You know, when he started when the off. First he season started of off Discovery came out. Yeah. He says, yeah, he goes, yeah, he basically said, I don't care if they don't watch. They're going to watch yeah. anyways, you know, and I was like, well, you know, you're not even a Trek guy. You know, he's a good actor, but he hasn't been in Star Trek before. It really was tone deaf for him to say that. And William Shatner had to come out and kick his ass for us. Which thank you, good. Bill, for letting him know, putting him in his place. Yeah, William Shatner handled business that day. Yeah, hey, he Zachary, uh, three zero zero one for five dollars. No comment. Just five bucks. Thank you, Zachary. Appreciate Thank you, that. Zachary. Appreciate the super chats. And we appreciate all the super chats, guys. It's it's really helpful to the channel and and we appreciate it. There's a there's a super chat here for Rob. I'm gonna save from Dustin Cole. By the way, you missed my last question. No, I got it, man. You well you see, Dustin had to give you more money. So we we should give something free to Dustin Cole. You are awesome. There yes. Go. From Son of John. If the fans want to Terry Metallic Star Trek Star Trek, then the fans need to sign up for Terry Trek. Yes. Fans need to do the letter writing campaign to Paramount fans need to make it so engaged. Yes, terrytrek.com. Go sign the petition. Thank you, son John. Put on my hat while we're here. Yep, there you go. Yeah, okay. Yeah, shameless. Do you think that legacy is in trouble as Paramount wants to cut cost and Academy adds another title to their current slate from Oliver Lavalier Farage for five dollars? I can answer this question, Oliver. Um, legacy, it's not that Legacy's in trouble. It's that Legacy has never been has never been a thing yet. So as you'll see as we get to the end of Picard Season 3, Terry does, as he promised back at the New York Comic Con, he does give us an opportunity to continue the story. And he said, I would have called it Star Trek Legacy. So, uh, but here's the thing is Paramount has not grasped it yet now we will we can share some info with you i don't think we were going to share this info brian but i think we could, we could share it now since we haven't put it out yet uh, uh something you guys don't know uh, the whole world doesn't know in fact um but we're going to share it with you right now that is that right after terry matala said he was going to call his new show star trek legacy oh you're gonna break this right now i am i'm breaking right now <clears throat> oh my god okay i'm gonna break it right now uh right what happened was uh CBS went out and bought Star Trek Legacy.com. They went out and bought it and then they point and then they pointed it towards the Paramount.com servers. And so the reason we know this is a little more information. The reason we know this is because the old servers were still updating. I have the screenshots, but it was owned by a domain farm. A domain farm is a company that basically buys a bunch of domain names for the purpose of selling them. I know because when he said Star Trek Legacy, I immediately went to go buy Star Trek (laughs) Legacy.com. Um, of course, because I want to be the guy who sells it to Paramount. But it was owned, and the premium price for it was like $8,500. Um, so obviously, I'm not going to buy it. Later on, a few days later, I go to see, once again, who the who is information is. is maybe I can trace that back to who owns it. And then all of a sudden, now it's owned by CBS uh, CID. And yeah. additionally, now the name servers had one additional name server and it was Paramount Plus. Yeah. Um, the three other name servers were still there for the old company, which means someone quickly bought it and quickly, <laughs> quickly pointed at the name server just to just to park it. 
Yeah, and we're going to put that in a video coming up too, just to kind of go through. We'll go through it better for you guys. But what essentially that means one of two things. It means one of two things. It means, well, we want to be able to capitalize on this on this idea that Terry's put out there uh, and make sure that nobody else, you know, we can point something to it, maybe Paramount Plus or something like that. So if you go to StarTrekLegacy.com, then you go to Paramount Plus. It could be that, or it could be, Okay, there's traction on Star Trek Picard season three. If we want to do Star Trek Legacy, we need to do it by it now, because if we want to do it later, it's going to cost us, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 dollars to buy yep. the domain name. So that's that's right. probably it's one of those two stories. I would like to believe it's because there's something happening in the background that says, you look, Paramount wants to make Star Trek Legacy. But as of right now, that still hasn't happened. You know, they still haven't approached Terry about doing it. And um, and we're really hoping that by the end of the season, when fans freak out at the end of it, because I really believe everybody's going to be super excited at the end of this show, They're that they finally it. go, they wake up and smell the coffee, right? We need a petition to get Tyler Sheridan to uh, promote Terry Metalis as the future showrunner. <laughs> no, he'll steal him. We don't want <laughs> no, him to No, no, Par yeah, Paramount, yeah. Will Paramount will actually listen to him. Yeah, but he'll steal him for a, for a Yellowstone knockoff. We don't want that. I hear yeah. you though. I mean, yeah, your point. Should we you know, have a good tea? Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Rob. Oh no, please read the super chat. Uh, good tea, nice house. Five dollars. Confession: I have gone from wishing Captain Shaw choked on a green steak in episode one to wanting to wipe his tears in the last episode. Yeah, all of us. Well said. Dude, for a minute there, I thought they had killed off Shaw when he like falls oh, out of the turbo so lift. Did I. And I, I was like, if they had killed Shaw right then and there, I'd have turned off the episode and just stopped watching. Yeah, I, I I saw that when I saw him going down the corridor, and then one guy gets shot, and I guess I'm like, no, turn around, turn around, Todd, go back. <laughs> oh man, why? Well, I, you know, I to me, I think it's really. I, I, I here's what I don't understand about uh, where the direction is. I feel that since 2009, there has been this effort that people think to themselves okay how because they look at ips harry potter marvel dc tr even paramount transformers even though it's amblin i mean it's owned by uh, dreamworks um they're looking at fr and franchise properties make a billion dollars that that's what they're looking for right and they've been thinking like jj abrams all these people thinking like okay we can make this a billion dollar franchise Star Trek is not a billion dollar franchise. It's Amen. a niche. It's a niche franchise. Right. It's always been a niche franchise. And if you look back, and this is what I, I just don't understand. Um, when you have a franchise at a studio, I always have believed there should be a, a an executive hired whose job is to oversee that franchise. And as people under him, like, or under them or under her, or whatever. Like Kathleen Kennedy? Well, well the, no, the thing about Kathleen Kennedy is it's different. She was not a... I'm talking about somebody that knows the franchise. Right. Kathleen Kennedy was hired by George Lucas because she'd been producing some of the biggest movies ever made since 1982. So right. she's known George Lucas and Spielberg. Her first producing credit's E.T. And if you look at her, she's done... She's worked with all the biggest directors. And the thing about Kathleen Kennedy that people don't understand is... So when you have a great producer, a great producer is there to facilitate the vision of the director so a director says i want a cast of thousands and we're going to shoot this a great producer comes in and goes eh, you can't have we don't have the money mm. so here's what i would propose we can do this we can do this 
Spielberg has said Kathleen Kennedy was the greatest producer he's ever worked with. She's a logistics person. She comes in and her job is to facilitate the vision of directors that know exactly what they're doing. That's what she expects. She expects that because she's always worked with the people that are the creme de la creme. And she actually did. People forget this. She did some really interesting hiring. Lord Miller. She was thinking out of the box. Josh Trank to do Boba Fett. You know, she was going to hire all these young up and coming directors, even Colin Trevorrow, who had done Safety Not Guaranteed. Then he did Jurassic, Jurassic World. That worked out very well. I'll hire him. Problem is, she was used to people that had had incredible experience that knew what they were doing. And a lot of these directors, like Lord Miller, great in what they do, but they're into improv and all this. You can't make an, a science fiction film with lots of visual effects. You can't improv that. Right. And and pissed off Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote the script. I totally get. I told and and Kathleen Kennedy, she doesn't particularly care about Star Wars. She wasn't a Star Wars fan. She was a fan of big budget movies making, working with the best people in the industry. Her job was to fa facilitate their visions. And she was put into a place where what she needed most was visionary people. Mm -hmm. yes. And she didn't have them. And so, and so what, and George Lucas picked her because she, he had worked with her for 25, all 30 years, you know? So from his perspective, this is why I'm a huge Kathleen Kennedy fan. What Kathleen Kennedy didn't have was the visionary directors that had incredible vision for Star Wars that she needed so she could facilitate their right. vision. And she also didn't have enough self-awareness to know that she didn't have that talent and then she didn't go out and find it, which is well, something well, that, that's the mistake I think she made. Also, the problem is the people that are making movies today don't have the talent that the people, I mean, the people that she had worked with in the past had cut their teeth and made lots of movies right before she, spielberg made et in 82 well 81 spielberg had made he cut his teeth in television he had made sugarland express mm -hmm. he had made jaws he had made 1941 mm -hmm. and close encounters and he'd made raiders and then he made et right yeah. and and you know lord miller were comedy guys and they were very funny with what they did but they were used to the loosey-goosey let's make it funny mm -hmm. 21 and 22 jumps are great but on a Star Wars movie, you're not improvising. You can't do that because right. you just can't do that. And so they make Solo. And she, here's the thing. In Kathleen, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to have been her when Lawrence Kazan, the writer who wrote Empire, who wrote Raiders, is fucking pissed off because they're doing, they're improvising stuff, turning this movie into who knows what. By the way, it might have been great. <laughs> I don't know. It could have been fantastic but but so what what i think i've always thought star trek needs here's what i would do so you've got you've got say the predator and alien franchise over at fox why isn't there an executive and by the way i have to give a shout out to 20th century uh, studios president steve asbel that man knows his shit he knows everything he came up he came up to the ranks he started out as an intern at fox worked his way up He's now the president of 20th Century Studios. That guy, by the way, massive Star Trek geek, reads Star Trek novels. He knows Alien. He knows Predator. Right. He greenlit Fetty Alvarez's new Alien Romulus project, whatever it's called. He was the person responsible for Predator Prey. You need people like him at the top. These Star Trek has never had uh, John Van Sitters, 
who controlled licensing and now is in charge of brand management. He really knows his shit. He knows Star Trek. He loves Star Trek. He made sure the publishing empire uh, was as good as it was, and he did a great job. But he's never made a movie. Right. You know, he but, doesn't yeah. know how to deal with 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 creatives. What Star Trek needs is an executive who has a group of people that have read every fucking Star Trek novel. They've read every comic. They know all of Star Trek. So they can sit down and they can vet it all. So when someone comes in and says, we want to do this, we want to do Starfleet Academy. Okay, explain to me how Starfleet Academy is going to be different than 90210. Are you going to have your space peach pit? <laughs> you know, is it going to be like the OC California, <laughs> San Francisco, here I come, Starfleet Academy. I, 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 I picture it more like Saved by the Bell, actually. Well, done on, yeah, absolutely. It just, Zach Attack. Now, how are we going to get, that's what they're going to make. Uh, you, right. you read you read there it's going to be about rivalries and first loves I'm like and diversity that. are you and diversity are you kidding me that's <laughs> what you're going to make a star trek show about no one wants to see that you're going to sit there the entire time going when are these people going to get into space yeah well, well you know the, you know the reason that they made this show they're making the show is it's it's the natural successor to discovery so they've they've got a fan base that they've that they've cultured and now they want to continue maintaining that fan base because it's the most loud and vocal fan base uh, that we have as part of Star Trek. Which so you, you you see that coming. But let me ask you this question, Rob. So Rick Berman was the guy who wanted to maintain the vision, and then when Brian Fuller came along to do Discovery, Brian Fuller said, "You know, I want to make Star Trek the way I want to make it." And he was on Voyager. He was a writer. Yep. So um, my and question on to Deep you Space is, Nine early too. And in Deep Space Nine. So if we bring in somebody who knows Star Trek, is there also a little bit of a concern that they'll still try to make it theirs instead of do something different? Because it seems like Brian was trying to make it his own. What do you think? Uh, well, uh, no, I think he, well, here's the thing. I would say one of the great reimaginings of a familiar mythology in television history is Hannibal. Yes. It's, it's Brian, Brian Fuller yeah. took. You had Michael Mann doing Manhunter, you know, Red Dragon. Then you had, of course, you had Silence of the Lambs um, uh, made. Then you had Ridley Scott doing doing Hannibal. Then you had Brett Ratner redoing Red Dragon as Red Dragon instead of Manhunter. And, um, you know, all, all of the, I mean, uh, it's, it, it, and yet he took that familiar mythology and reinvented it, spun it around on its head, and created one of the great horror TV shows of all time. Right, but was and he I, too close to Star Trek? Maybe, maybe he loved it too much because of his I, ideologies. Do you think that might be? What? I actually think uh, Les Moonves had a lot more to do with yeah. the problems there well, with the ending, but not with the new. Not with but I would creating. say I would say uh, having read all of what they were going to do. They had some really, really interesting approaches. Um, maybe he reinvented it too much, but what I think that Brian Fuller was going to do is what I thought that they should have done is I really thought that Brian Fuller, Star Trek Discovery, was basically a reboot. It was okay. it was a it was a it was a reimagining of Star Trek. And it started at a point in, so what, what Brian Fuller was saying, and I've never actually asked him this. I mean, I did a long interview with him about horror on my channel and stuff, but I think that what he was doing was reimagining Star Trek and he was doing it pre-original series. Mm. And, and he wanted to do things like make the Klingons more alien. Right. But, and, and do things where it was not necessarily 
when he called it a prequel, I think it was that the prequel was for him to reboot Star Trek. From so it was the, a reboot. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it was. I think it was a complete reboot that would make more and sense. reimagining of what Star Trek could be. And then everybody gets everyone gets caught up in this whole continuity because, and rightfully so, because Star Trek has had a long continuity that people, I mean, how many TV shows have Mr. Scott's Guide to the Enterprise or right. Blueprints or con uh, Concordances or Star Trek is the most examined TV show in the world in terms of its lore. You know, no one's no one's ever. And and I think if you buy into Star Trek, it's one thing to reimagine it. But the fan base, here's the thing. The Star Trek fan base is old and is aging out. There's not a lot of new and young fans. And if they are new and young, they like Star Trek in a different way. They like the ideology. They like the representation. It's a different world. And I totally also, understand that. And I don't begrudge them for it. Rob, what do you think about all new Star Trek being behind a paywall? Like it's much easier to build an audience when it's free, when it's on like TV then, and people can just kind of tune in and watch it. But now everything is like, you have to pay a, a monthly subscription. TV wasn't free either it. though, Matt, you know, cable yeah, was. wasn't free. No. I mean, it was back in, you know, in the, in the eighties, it, it, it was still free if you didn't have cable because you could get it, get it on broadcast. Everybody paid for it though. I mean, you had to pay your cable provider at least, you know, a hundred bucks what, a month. But what I'm talking about here is that, you know, on the big networks, mm -hmm. this stuff was easily accessible. Yeah. Nowadays, you know, like how many people subscribe to Paramount Plus and of those people, how many of them are watching Star Trek and of those people, how many of them are watching Star Trek with their kids? Oh, I, right? true. I think that's a very valid uh, question. Um, but that, but again, I would say that's just a, a function of the new era that we, we live in. I think the real question is, is like, I, I've even advocated for an entire reboot of Star Trek. The same way that Hannibal is a reimagining of all of Thomas mm. Harris's uh, books, you know he wrote four. He wrote four books. Uh, he wrote yeah. Red Dragon, Silence of the Lambs. Well, I mean, I'll tell you how I fell in love with Star Trek. Right, it's when I got home from school around three o'clock, the local affiliate would run Star Trek Next Generation reruns at five o'clock, and I'd sit there and I'd watch them till my dad got home, and then he'd watch some Star Trek with me, mm. and that created like the experience of becoming a Star Trek fan for an entire generation of people. Yeah. Right? We don't, we don't have, we don't have that experience anymore. Right. No, especially considering that now Star Trek swears, it's got, you know, sexual situations in it, sometimes nudity, uh, graphic violence. It's like how many people are actually watching Star Trek with their kids nowadays? Well, we, that, that also begs the question of what the networks forced them to do and what they would have done had there not been networks, but, forcing them to abide certain guidelines so we maybe have gotten lucky that we got to watch star trek as a kid <laughs> but we also live in a world where 12 year olds can go on to Pornhub or red tube or you point whatever and watch hardcore pornography at the click of a button in my world there was mythological playboy magazines buried under a tree in the woods which by the way is true <laughs> <laughs> and we, we we as kids knew we right. would go out into the woods and we knew where the playboys were right. and you'd go out and, and they were there 
Mm-hmm. And and it was like this weird legacy thing. People would take nudie <laughs> magazines and put them in the woods. And I live in Seattle. Nobody put them in plastic bags. So they had been rained on. And you, Jesus I mean, Christ. that's the world. This is true. By no, the way. I know. I, I, I remember. I was there. I, I grew up with all this stuff. And yep. so I would I say. I miss the good old days of wet our, But magazines. our world, our world has completely changed. Right. And I think what, what has suffered is great storytelling. Because great storytelling is eternal and it's universal. Amen. And the fact that Shakespeare's great stories keep getting reinvented over and over and over and over again. You know, whether you talk about Greek myths, I mean, here today, just today in the trades on Deadline, Austin Butler has been cast to play Danny, the lead character in Don Winslow's book, City on Fire. And Don Winslow has written three books. I just finished City of Dreams. I'm a huge Don Winslow fan. I've read his a lot of his books. Oliver Stone made his book Savages into a movie. But so the thing about his crime thrillers is that he, it, they're a riff on the Odyssey and the Iliad. Right. And so he, here he wrote these books about the Italian and the uh, the Italian and the um, Irish mafia going after one another. Books are great. I've read, uh, as I said, I read the first one. I now have the second one. Now they're making a movie with Austin Butler. The guy made a crime thriller based on the Odyssey and the Iliad. I think nowadays the problem with our creators is they've only ever watched TV shows and movies. They haven't read enough. They haven't studied structurally storytelling. Whereas the, the people that wrote original Star Trek, I mean, Roddenberry is a World War II vet. That he was a he was a cop. He was the speechwriter for the chief of police of Los Angeles. Yeah, Rob, to your he... point, to your point about storytelling, uh, Gary Nerdrotic just tweeted out a article from TV Line saying that barely one third of the viewers of the Rings of Power TV show finished streaming season one. Barely one third watched the I whole mean, season. That sh- that show was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, but, but it, I, it goes to your storytelling point where like the Amazon invested a billion dollars in two guys who'd never made anything before. They, they did the rejected yeah, Star Trek three script. And, and ba- basically these guys had no understanding of what good storytelling is because they're from the bad robot in- incubator. Yeah. And, and they created this terrible fan fiction for Lord of the Rings and it, it seems like the only people who actually finished the entire series were YouTubers who were contractually obligated to basically like review this entire thing so people wouldn't have to watch it. Yeah, I mean, and, and this is what's frustrating is, you know, I spent my life filling my head with a universe that doesn't exist. I know. Star right? Trek. And I did it willingly because I love the Star Trek universe. Yeah. And, and what was funny was all the blueprints and all the technical manuals all of that stuff were written and created by people that loved star trek that's right that loved star trek and 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 i have shelves literally shelves of two shelves of books shelf a thousand novels no one wrote a star trek novel because they thought they were going to get rich Mm. they wrote a star trek novel because they loved star trek Trek. but but let me let me ask you this guys so like you have rings of power season one terrible right could they pull a Terry Metalis and make a season two that was actually good and bring people back into the fold? Is that possible? Uh, maybe. I mean, I, 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 all, I honestly believe that no story, the, the quality of a story has nothing to do with what comes before or after it. 
a, every story, even it's with, if it, even if it's within a franchise, has to be allowed to exist on its own terms. And that's one of the frustrating things about Star Trek Picard season three is you have to take into account seasons one and two because there is continuity there they have to deal with. And that's why it's frustrating. Well, what about Picard's robot? I He's the it. same man. I, I get you know, it. <laughs> Brian, get rock it. the rest of the Super Chats, please, sir. Yeah, Marcus Quintus, watch the Valiant Renegade livestream Disney Sheridan meeting. Epic. P.S. Thank you, Rob, for hooking me into Star Trek Picard Season 3 when I had given up hope. Um, nice? I mean, all I did was call it like I saw it. No one gives us any credit, Rob. No one. They all just thank you. Well, you guys are the only other. You For the, a long time, it was only you. It was only you that you guys were the only people in the wilderness with me, and we couldn't say anything. We can't. can't. Zephyrin Anderson, the Enterprise G with Shaw, 79, and Children of TNG going episodic with three-season arc. Muttley left. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, We haven't even um, seen the Enterprise F yet. We haven't even seen the Enterprise F yet. That's true. That's true. Just pointing uh, it out. Andre guys. Benson, people mad because you have guests like Todd and Terry. That is... That is true. There's passive aggressive people. It's full of, I won't say any names, but there are some channels who like come and watch our show and then like say nasty things in the thing over here and then go onto Twitter, especially social media and onto their shows and say they told uh, us what it was all, you know, they gave it to us. And I'm like, you never said shit. You were sitting in the super chat. They were sitting in the chat the whole time. So well, yeah, why would, we're why here. Would, why would anybody... This is what I don't understand. As a Star Trek fan, I would watch anything or read anybody that could right. provide me with insight or information. And I would never think to myself, oh, I'm, I'm going to resent these people for bringing me the creators of the thing I love so much. Well, I, the reason yeah. why is because, uh, okay, so if you're, let's say you're a new Trek show, like you, you cover new Star Trek. And you've, you know, loved everything. You know, you've said, it's all wonderful. Discovery's great. Picard season one and two is great. It's all great. Hey, we can just love Trek. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, these guys start coming on shows where we've been saying, well, you know, it really hasn't been very good Star Trek. You know, so now these guys kind of get upset because we're getting access that they feel like because they've been shelling the whole time for Star Trek and not being totally honest about how they feel, that they should actually get all the people to come on and onto their shows. That's kind of where it comes from. And so we got that hate. You've got the, the doom cult hate. You've got the, the new Trek people who want us to shill for new Trek that we don't. So there's just a lot of it out there and it's very, frustrating. What, what, what's what, what's really weird is none of that is, a, is about the actual process of making television and movies. Right. You know, yeah. you're, you're talking about all these people are talking about the finished product. We're actually interested in how does a sausage get made? Amen. You know, right. and 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 we're reaching out to people. I mean, I've been working in the entertainment business for 34 years. And so when I know people and I, I want to talk about, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I do my Designing Hollywood podcast talking to Academy Award winning costume designers. And no one ever gets mad at me about that. I just want people to watch it. Yeah. I wish more people would. You know, well, and and what we're doing here is delving into how something is made. Yeah, right? something we love. Can and, I can and, I can I add to that, Rob? That people keep asking how we're getting like people on the show that from from the show. How do you guys do that? People are getting mad that we have access. 
we have access because we we put the work in. We ask people. We can. Yeah. If you are just sitting there as a YouTuber waiting for someone to message you, you're doing it wrong. No, it's because you're guy, professional. This guy over here, he actually picks up this thing called a phone. And right. keeps calling people until they answer him. That's how yes, it works. You guys, That's how is, it works. The, and, no, we, no one's coming to us and saying, hey, let's give you guys a oh, this tiny show, let's give you guys access. No, no. Shane is physically calling, texting, and writing people on a daily, hourly basis. It's work, it's, baby. It's work. You gotta put the work in. You gotta put the work in. If you want it, you know, if you don't, then you know you can mm. wait too. Maybe people they close a lot of doors day. before they open them, just so you know. It's not easy. Hey, so yeah. and a, and a, and plenty mm. of people have said no. Plenty, right? Like, like it's it, like I would say it's like a ten to one ratio right now. So also, you 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 have to have some kind of credibility with the people you're talking to, or at least know how to talk to them. Right. Right. You know, and it's 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 again, I understand everybody's special. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to ever. But I mean, you know, there's a reason why people will talk to you, right? And you have to have a certain credibility, or you know. And I'm not saying that I have that credibility, or that you have that credibility, that any of us have that credibility. But you know, there's ways you can approach people, right? And 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 talk to them and get them to believe and trust you. And trust you—that's important. Trust, like if you didn't. Some people were mad because they didn't like get screeners or whatever. Well, you might not you know you might not have gotten to the level yet where they know in you enough to know they can trust you. So if you ask them, you know, after the fact, they haven't properly vetted you and they don't know if you're gonna share it out to people or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's another have, thing. I, you can have five in, million subs, they don't know you enough to give you the screener because they don't put know if in you're gonna share so it. much work to get approved by Netflix to be part of their media program to get early screeners, yeah, like literally months months of work to get approved for that stuff and everyone's like oh i didn't get a screener because i sent an email to some help desk you know in india Mm. it's like no like if 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 you put in the work you get the rewards and it just so happened shane and brian put in a a butt ton of work well also do this look at look at the podcast videos you guys have done just look at the actual quality of the production of your content Thanks, man. You put a lot of time, effort, and thought into your videos that go back years. Yeah. I mean, that's because I didn't know you guys. I started watching your content and I was was impressed with what you were doing. That's true. And that's how and, we, and, yeah. and that I, I that, started watching your content and then I saw that you were at the Star Trek convention in Vegas. And I'm like, holy crap, I gotta meet these guys. And so yeah. I tweeted at Brian. And we met up at the convention and that right. led to me like meeting you guys. And it's just like, you, you know, like you guys toiled for years yeah. before, before you got any like access. Any you know, access it wasn't true. an overnight thing. <laughs> it took us. Yeah. We've been doing this for six or seven years. So and it took time. And, 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 you know, it's it, guys like Rob and it's guys like you, Matt, and it's all of us working together in the community, supporting each other. And we just have to continue doing that. And we appreciate the support we get from you guys watching the show obviously obviously it's nothing if you guys don't show up so we really appreciate all of that so come on super chats here i'm just going the, go ahead Rob. well the people that you guys have brought together you've you've brought together a very disparate group of youtubers that that uh, can be divisive you know amongst people but we've all come together at our with our shared appreciation of this season of star trek now you, you should ask yourself why is that the case you know if you're not digging star trek Picard season three 
that's perfectly fine. But right. why has it touched a nerve with so many people? Right. Why is it working for so many people that have disparate points of view? And yet, collectively, we can all get behind Star Trek Picard season three. Now, I'm not saying you have to love anything. Yeah. But I do think that there's a reason why so many people have been a, 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 attracted to it. And I'll tell you this. It's not because anyone promised me a job or someone else a job. Right. Yeah. As there's plenty fact, of things. Go ahead. A, there's more money to be made on YouTube than in independent filmmaking these days. Let right. me tell you. And there's yes. more money. Let me tell you. There's more money to be made hating on stuff than it is to be. And like, yeah. that's a fact. Yep. That's true. And, and think about this. There's so many. A lot of these people we don't. We don't always agree with politically or, or anyway, but because we have this like shared love of starting. I'll be right back, guys. I Gentlemen, I, I must, I must, uh, uh, Kadish, Brian, I have to leave because these puppies need me. Okay, brother. Again. Yeah, but this, this was a great show. A long stream. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Thank you for really having long, me actually. on here. This is amazing. Yeah. You guys are amazing. And there's a reason why the podcast guys get who they get. There's a reason why the salty nerd will come on this show and not be salty. Come on. <laughs> That's impressive. He's always a little salty. But even a little bit, <laughs> but he's honest. That's why people watch his show. It's true, man. It's I true. mean, and we're not shilling for anyone. We're here because we want to be. Yep, that's true. And you that's guys facts. are on a tight ship. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate that. I just find I got to watch Star Trek next to Robert Meyer Burnett at the Chinese Man's Theater. Uh, yeah, and I, dude, I was crying too. You were crying. We were crying. Yeah, so, it was uh, a good time. All right, bro. Uh, and you. maybe, maybe. Well, we're gonna at your event, of course, but mm -hmm. maybe other people might. Who knows? Who knows? Just you know, it is. It's April third. The last episode of Picard airs April well twentieth. That's only 17 days away. Yep. You never know, kids. You never and if you know. live close to an IMAX theater, who knows? Oh, God, know. you're going to get me in so much trouble. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. We were in, no. I'm just saying because you and I, we were in an IMAX theater at the premiere watching that's episodes true. one and two. That's, that's, that's what true. I'm referring to. That's what he's talking about. Yeah. Yes. You know, because I'm know. referring back to what we saw together. Right. Yeah. at the chinese theater in that big imax screen yeah. and you might be able to watch all 10 episodes in a luxury theater in vegas right. in ten las vegas yes. yeah i'm not saying anybody can you know i'm just saying you we did we had the opportunity and if you were like us maybe you never know you never know you never okay know. well with that i think we'll close i gotta thank go. you my friends thank you rob thank you brother i think my brother already left thank you matt <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna wrap this up now. Um, let me remove Shane from the thing because he's. Yeah. Thank here. you to everyone who sent super chats. By the way, you guys have been so generous, and yep. uh, we tried our best to get to all of them. Yeah, we missed a couple. I'm sorry. Like it, there is a lot sometimes, and then some of them were very specific to Todd Stashwick, and I missed them. So, but yeah. I'll get better. I'll get better. Yeah. So, sometimes we just got to let the guests talk and sometimes uh, we, we want right. to get our questions in. So uh, we try to prioritize the super chats as much as possible though. And speaking so, of that, we those. have that from uh, no man. Others that jet jet GPT and AR ARR is the future. Yeah. You're probably yep. right. And we're, we're probably out of jobs pretty soon. All probably, right, guys, yeah. that's it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for coming on this awesome Monday. We'll yes. be back on Thursday. For the live show, there's a review coming up on Thursday morning. 
and uh, Salty Saturdays is on Saturday. And you have something going on tomorrow, right? Uh, yeah, we got our live stream at one o'clock with Charlie Allen from Combat International, where we're talking about he did all the stunt work for uh, the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Uh, which we didn't get into, but we're going to be talking about the behind the scenes stuff on that at one o'clock PM Pacific standard time. And also if you go to one zero forward fest, 10 forward fest.com, that's where you can get tickets for the event on uh, the 25th of April, the day before the nerdrotic meetup, where we're going to be watching all 10 episodes of star Trek Picard season three with the people who actually made the show, Terry Metalis and the co-producers and writers of the show. It's going to huh. be it's gonna be super awesome it's, it's bro where like, are you hosting 10 forward fest so uh basically once you buy a ticket we'll send you all the details but it's a luxury theater here in las vegas no 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 really? no, no i'm asking where are you hosting the website because i think we crashed it oh really <laughs> okay yeah uh go daddy so uh we hope we crashed the website but listen um i'm gonna put it in the comics oh there it goes it's yeah it's so it's it's moving pretty sluggish right now so i'll put it in the chat uh, bottom line is uh, once you get in there, if you can get in there and they're still available, then come on in. Get, get your yeah. tickets. We, we oh, are Shane's limited. back. Hey, yeah, guys. We're limiting the, the number so, of tickets we're selling because we, of the theater, put a, the yeah. number of seats. Put a hold up. We'll talk more about the the, the theater and the, the event next time. Okay. All right, guys. That's it. We love you guys so much. Again, thank you for being here. And we'll see you. Appreciate you guys. Okay. Adios. Where's the thing at?